0: Hello everyone, it is time for Weekly Manga Recap, specifically it is September the 29th of 2021, which means it is time for the sadistic September edition of Weekly Manga Recap. I am Nick, joined by Chris, of course,
1: and yeah, it's it's a manga discussion podcast time. Hey, everybody. Yeah, this is where... We let out our inner PDSM sides get a little sadistic with the month. We're punishing ourselves with this bad manga. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, not technically wrong in a
0: way. I can't correct you because you're not wrong, but just
1: don't know if I appreciate I don't the explanation of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. We just we read stuff we hate and uh is bad in different ways and then we talk about it and we've done it for several years now and we've had ups and downs uh and now we're gonna do kenichi it's an interesting
0: uh well history i guess that uh the, the month of statistics, Woo! september yeah, yeah yeah i did the thing yeah um we started off like we, we were very strong from the beginning because we were like, OK, I've got a series I really want us to do. You've got a series you really want us to do. So we started off, of course, with air gear, which mm-hmm. was something that had just been a long time coming that when we covered it. And honestly, like, I feel like if we really wanted to go back, there are still depths <laughs> which we could mine more. Oh, of. yeah. What?
1: Maybe one episode wasn't enough for air
0: gear. Maybe. um. Then we did uh, the Prince of Tennis, which I, I feel like I finally buried after <laughs> sorry, I put it behind me after after all that time. Uh, I have gotten the name of the series that we did for the third one wrong multiple times. So. Flame Freca. Yes, that was it. Uh, and then we did. We, we then made, we read we a made crime. A we made a mistake. <laughs> it was. <laughs> With Kodomo no Con. last year we kind of went back to the roots. Yeah, you know, stupid mm-hmm. shonen series that one of us had a bad history with, where we talked about Codebreaker, and that was an experience. And when held up against all of those various series, which were bad for different sorts of reasons, whether they be just, oh God, this sucked. Uh, in a very you know like I read a lot of manga and did not enjoy this even though I enjoy the type of manga that this was way uh-huh. or well I don't enjoy kindergartners having their panties shown all the time so this was awful to get through <laughs> um, or it was just kind of boring and when I thought about it I wasn't sure if this series really really fit that uh, when I was decided we were going to do it. I kind of mentioned that when I made the announcement. I don't know if this is going to work because I do. You know, this is a series that fits in with the theme of a series that one of us has history with that you know we kept up with for a while, but eventually it took a really negative turn, and so we're kind of sour about that, Mm. or I'm kind of sour about that specifically uh, because I read History Strongest Disciple Kanichi late two thousands. Uh, caught up with it, kept up with it for a few years. And then I got really, uh, disappointed with it. Uh, that became a series that didn't really have much, uh, story progression or character progression anymore. And it really just became about how can we get these girls clothes to explode off of them
1: (laughs) this week? Which is weirdly, uh, a game plan. So many series have, um, So that was the big thing that
0: was going on, and I was eventually just like, yeah, I don't need to read this every week, because what's the point anymore? Uh, So I'll just stop reading it. And eventually, I think that that was probably like three years or so before it ended. This is a series that ran from April 2002 through September of 2014. If you are confused about what series in particular we're, we're talking about, the Japanese title is Shijo Saikyo no Deshi Kenichi, it has been translated officially as Kenichi, the Mightiest Disciple, but it te- I think is best known in a lot of English manga and anime circles as History Strongest Disciple Kenichi because that's a more literal translation of its title by Scanlations, which, is the, which only is the only way you can read this. <laughs> yeah. It has not been licensed in English. The anime has been licensed, uh, but not the manga. Um. But this is a series that did get a lot of attention back in this time because it was a shonen martial arts series that was running at the time. It was running continuously. It was running every single week and it had a lot of boobs in it. So a lot of people read it. Um, but I had some pretty positive memories of the series in general uh, for what it did. It had, you know, a few uh, characters that were very different and memorable. Uh, it had some fight scenes that were kind of fun to, fun to read because it was a low power martial arts series. No, you know, up until a certain point, there's no glowy auras. And even when the glowy auras happen, <laughs> it's not like they're shooting energy beams at each other at any point, at least. Um, and uh, so I, I had that to think about. And also, it's a
1: very, very long series, ran right? For 12 years. Yes. So it's it's worth stressing how long this series is. This ran nearly as long as Bleach. You know, this is a hundred chapters less, but you still have to consider in the context, you're like, Bleach ran for a really fucking long time. So, like, these things... It's it's astonishing how long this series ran, and also does not seem to be a part of the same conversations as a lot of those other, like, long-running series.
0: I mean... Of course, this did run in uh, Shonen Sunday or Shonen Super... What was it called? Weekly Shonen Sunday. So, not in as wide circulation as those other series. But yeah, despite running as long as it did, not nearly as popular as a lot of the big series that were running at the time. Uh, So, I was thinking when we were getting ready to read this, okay, It's going to be fun for, you know, a couple hundred chapters and then it'll go downhill and eventually it'll just be like, well, then her clothes explode and (laughs) then they got stupid. I did not expect that I was going to hate this series from almost page one. (laughs) It has not aged well in my mind, apparently. I did this series way too much justice in my memory of it.
1: I, I, so I can, I can agree with you slightly. I did read this series at one point in time. I don't remember exactly how far I got. I, I read it at least through a portion of the Eight Fists of Ragnarok arc or whatever the fuck saga. I don't know what you'd call it. It doesn't have really story breaks in it at any point, so it's kind of one yeah. long giant a hundred and whatever chapter long arc. So I never got through it but I definitely was like familiar with a bunch of the characters and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, it's all right. And everyone seems to be like, yeah, that's the part of Kenichi that's good. And upon this reread, that's the part I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking garbage. I hate every part of this.
0: Now to prevent us from immediately going on the hate train, which is, I know the point of sadistic September, but there are some parts of the series that I remembered being good and on second read, yes, they are still good. Uh, still like Kisara. I still like her. She's not quite as good as I remember, but still like her. Mm. Some of the fight scenes are actually quite fun. And some of the, the styles that certain fighters demonstrate are interesting. It's not in general. The action isn't as good as I remember it. Apache, one of Kenichi's teachers, is still really good. <laughs> I think he's impossible to fuck up given like, the, the his yeah. character, but he's still fun. He's he's really good. But I think that the thing I wasn't expecting was I was expecting Kenichi, the character, the mate the protagonist of the series, to be boring because that's how I remember him. I hate that little shit. And there's a lot of him in this series. And I don't like him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kenichi is this weird protagonist because he exists as sort of the ultimate point of the series. Because this is one of the the shonen series that says, you know, hard work can battle natural talent. It's, it's a long-running theme of the series. Mm-hmm. And it established... Kenichi has zero talent. He has no aptitude whatsoever for martial arts, not in the slightest. They don't even give him like a little cursory thing towards the end, like "oh, you're really good at like fucking curling your toes and that helps" or something. Like, (laughs) there's nothing. They give him nothing. They're at the whole series. They just shit on him the entire series. Um, So you you constantly just hear the cast dog on top of him, and you'd feel bad. But Kenichi has no personality, none. He's kind of nice. That's that's his like main defining trait, and he has one motivation, and that is to become strong enough to protect Mu, who is a character who is a thousand times stronger than him already, who yeah. does not need his help whatsoever to protect herself. And it yeah. is his primary motivation yeah. is to get stronger so she doesn't have to fight. Not something... She expresses any point either. It's never like she says, like, oh, man, it'd be nice to not have to protect myself and just focus on my dream of ballet or gymnastics or whatever she picked up in school or something like that. Never stated, at least at a point I remember. But that's that's it. That is his motivation. I have to get stronger to protect her. This woman who could punch tanks. I don't like <laughs> like, she's fucking crazy strong. But for some reason, Kenichi has to get stronger to protect her. It was a weird
0: revelation when I was rereading the series and I thought to myself, wow, the series with all of the half naked women in it is way more sexist than I remember (laughs) because yes, there is the fan service. However, it's way more than that. It is just the general sense of the way men and women are supposed to be different. And although there may be individual characters who disagree with that notion, not, no, no, it seems to be that that's the way things are supposed to be to go back to, I guess the, the the beginning of this series, uh, Kenichi, we, when we first meet him, he's just this. Loser. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even want to call him a nerd because he's
1: not studious. Yeah, I was going to say nerds are smart in the yeah. uh, ever lovable sense of the phrase. His thing is that he
0: likes to read these like self-help books, but not like self-help self-books, but more like do it yourself and learn to do the thing books. Um, but he reads them for like all sorts of things like how to meet people. How to get friends, mm-hmm. how to how to talk to people,
1: how yeah. to have a conversation with a person,
0: and also practical things like, oh no, how to chop wood, yeah and stuff.
1: So there is that kind of
0: sense of, oh, this guy is like such a loser, and I do kind of want him to get better if he's literally having to consult a book on just like how to talk to people. Um he ends up just randomly encountering this new girl at his school, Miu. Who is perfect? Yeah, perfect. Um, She is beautiful. She is smart. uh, She is, and she is insanely athletic. Uh, she you know can vault across these large gaps and stuff like that. There's this running gag at the very beginning of the series where Kanichi is trying to get to school and he's always late. He passes by Miu on the way, and then somehow she beats him to school. And it turns out she takes this incredibly dangerous shortcut that you know should be physically impossible to traverse, and that's just how she gets there yeah. so quickly. Is because sh- she's a martial artist, therefore she breaks all laws of physics basically. So. Kenichi is getting bullied and but despite the fact that he is a wuss, he tries to protect Miu when he thinks that she's going to be bullied. And then, of course, she beats the shit out of the guys who are going to attack her. And then she decides to take pity on this poor, you know, loser kid who, hey, had a good heart and tried to help her out. And so she decides, hey, I can teach you a little bit about martial arts so you can defend yourself. She teaches him a little bit. And then she's like, okay. If you want to learn more, I'm not actually a teacher, but I live at this dojo, and you can come there and train. And it turns out that at this dojo, in addition to her grandfather that she lives with, there are these five insane martial arts masters who all practice different styles of martial arts. And so Kenichi becomes all of their disciples at once. And this, as it turns out, is the reason why he can become the greatest disciple, the strongest disciple, the mightiest disciple is that he is learning all these different styles of martial arts all at the same time. And he can combine them together. Who would have ever thought of that? Nobody, nobody's ever thought of that idea before, <laughs> ever. So
1: it's such a good idea. You'd think there'd be like a practical reason why some people wouldn't learn multi- multiple martial arts at the exact same time. Huh? Fun fact:
0: I actually learned about Muay Thai from this series. It was, you know, I read it early enough that like I basically never heard of it before, and it's, you know, put up alongside, you know, Judo and Karate and and Kung Fu, and so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's you know, it's very different, and it's cool, and it's taught by this big, tall, weird guy. Um,
1: It's also a series that teaches about Jujitsu, and it's the only time it's taught by someone moderately respectable as opposed to a guy wearing like an Ed Hardy t-shirt or the other things that now I just associate because jiu is a huge thing in MMA. So I just feel like right. that's how I hear it kind of connected now.
0: Um, The five different teachers that Kenichi has, as well as the grandmaster uh, who is a muse grandfather, uh, are all very different degrees of boring, fun, and just, Offensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Hayato, he's he, he's you know ridiculous. Like he's from a different series, basically. He's he basically is like if like a Dragon Ball Z fighter just got old and then just like occasionally yeah. cameoed in this series. He's ridiculous beyond all measure. Uh Abachai, as previously stated, is a lot of fun. He is this big, tall Thai guy guy who just doesn't really understand how dangerously powerful he is. So he is friend of all children, but I also constantly saying that when you hit something, you need to be trying to kill it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a wonderful contradiction. Uh, Sakaki, his karate teacher is like, okay, very, 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 very cheap. Kenshiro knockoff. Basically, you know, he is like, he, he is the most default, you know, badass martial arts teacher I can think of. Same has a thing where he's, I don't even know how to describe him. He's like the most responsible and logical of all of the five teachers, I guess. But he also takes delight in running Kenichi through these weird mechanisms that he keeps inventing to train him really, really hard. And that seems to be his main thing. So.
1: Well, so. I I, I will say this is where I have my first disagreement. I think I agree with your thoughts on on the teachers. By the way, Kenichi has five teachers, but he only has four. One of them, Shigurei, who teaches him about weapons. But that only comes up whenever he fights someone with weapons. And I don't know why she's considered on the same level as other teachers, because she never seems to train him on anything. Yeah, yeah. But she's one of the teachers, whatever. The other four have a singular personality trait that establishes them. Apochai is a child. Uh, Sakaki is basically Wolverine. Uh, He just drinks a lot of beer, wears leather jackets, and gambles. Uh, Kenshi is a pervert, and whatever the jiu-jitsu guy's name is, is physically present in all the scenes. And then after you you get past that, they are the exact same character. Because they all act the exact same way with Kenichi. Apochai is a little bit different, because he has the mentality of a child, basically. But all of them shit on Kenichi, talk about how much he sucks constantly aggressively bully him and are irresponsible and not able to handle life yeah. in any certain way. <laughs> and, and
0: whenever Kenichi gets into a fight, they are like, well, he needs to handle this. He's our disciple. Yeah. If he's going to be our disciple, he needs to fight his own battles until they decide that, no, they're going to get involved, Yeah, which is a very loose thing because no, Kenichi has to fight this time, but okay, we'll have Sakaki fight this time. Cause we haven't had a Sakaki fight in a while, I guess, you know, um, And then there's Shigure, who I like in spite of why she's there, (laughs) (laughs) which is she's the girl. And so she is busty and curvy, and she doesn't have a great deal of self-consciousness, so she doesn't mind when she's naked or in her underwear very often. Uh, and that is why she is in this series. Despite that, somehow, sometimes I do quite like her, probably because of the other aspects of her personality. Because she does have a personality yeah. in comparison to the teachers. She's very quiet. She speaks very slowly and methodically. And she has this very blunt way of dealing with things. And she has an actually different relationship with Kenichi than all of his other teachers do. She gets in on the let's torture Kenichi bandwagon a few times, but she is actually able to relate to him in more different ways. Unfortunately, I think that's because she's part of the harem that Kanichi gets, which he doesn't deserve. So... <laughs> I don't know if they ever actually, I don't remember if they ever actually explicitly state if Shigure is romantically interesting Kenichi in any way, but she is definitely portrayed as if she is sometimes.
1: I was going to say, she's also by far the youngest teacher, there. like everyone else. I mean, she's I guess, in- I guess yeah. Apochai also, it could be relatively young, but the rest of them are all, like, old yeah. men in comparison uh- to her, and she's only, like, yeah, probably, like, in her early 20s, she's probably, like, maybe Sh- is like.
0: Shigure is like college age, whereas Apochai is like late 20s. So when you compare that to like Kenichi being, you know, in high school, it's like, okay, yeah, there, that is one of those things where it's like, you can look at it and like, there's a reason why she's that young in addition to just, you know, the skin parts yeah. showing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, oh, well, we'll talk about that later. So Kenichi starts learning all this stuff from these teachers And uh, his training is usually a joke in that he is doing all these things that no human should be forced to endure for the sake of getting stronger. And you know what? In any good martial arts story... There is a time where you can go like, oh, well, that person is trying to do the really hard, seemingly physically impossible thing. And you know what? They're just kind of banging their head against that wall over and over and over again. You can see that like this is not only difficult, it is painful, possibly even deadly. But you know what? They're still trying to do it because they want to do it. They want to get stronger so that they can achieve their dream, so that they can avenge their fallen family, so that they can go and rescue their love interest or whatever. Yeah. Kenichi is the biggest fucking wuss about this whole thing. His entire exp- relationship with training can be summed up as. Ah! <laughs> and then it goes on for 400 chapters. <laughs> he hates training. And I don't just mean he hates training. I mean he's such a little bitch about it.
1: <laughs> he will several times throughout the series give up on training. And it's usually not this big dramatic catalyst that causes it to happen, like he's front like confronted with an ethical dilemma that he needs to like process or something like that. It'll just be like, "Hey, Kenichi, we're going to tie rocks to your back and throw you down a river and then you have to get out of it." And he's like, "I don't want to do that. i have run." And he'll leave for like a week and you're just like, "I I empathize with you, Kenichi, because your teachers are insane. But at the same time, that is his character trait throughout the series is he will run from training. As it's why they have to tie him into machines so frequently yeah. because he will run away otherwise.
0: And, you know, I know that that's kind of the point is like, oh, hey, his teachers are sadistic, et cetera. But it reaches a point eventually where it's like, Kenichi, you know why you're there. You know what you're supposed to, what they're going to do to you. You know that this, like, he doesn't ever try and, be, try and be like, listen, there is a specific thing that I need to do to get stronger. And this doesn't help. I don't know if it's a matter of like, oh, he'll whine and he'll cry, but he'll still do it. And that's just the thing. But he doesn't have to be so annoying about it if that's, if that's what the what it's going on.
1: So. I I would like to talk about something in this series. Go right okay. ahead. I want to talk about the first quote unquote arc of this series, because I want to get people to understand exactly the kind of series that this is. So we're talking about the Ragnarok. Arc. The Fists of Ragnarok. Uh, so By the that, way, cool name. Yeah, decent name. <laughs> Decent gimmick. Everyone has a, a member of Norse mythology, basically, that they, they're represented by. Works out relatively interesting. Um so the Fist of Ragnarok would be the first quote unquote arc, I guess. I don't know exactly how you could describe it. It as said, he fights basically every member of the group at some point or another and there is not really a clean break at any point that would say oh well that arc's ended and now a new arc has begun he just kind of fights every member of the group one at a time sequentially and then it ends but i want to talk in particular about odin who is the leader of ragnarok and we are he in...
0: wasn't always <laughs> the leader of ragnarok
1: he is introduced to us As having some kind of connection with Kenichi. And in particular, having a promise with Kenichi that Kenichi doesn't remember. And having a particular interest in Kenichi's yin-yang pin that he wears on his collar. It's like the defining character trait to him. I want (laughs) to fucking explain... You you phrase it that way. (laughs) Yeah, it's the only defining character trait he has on his physical appearance, so... We had, to, we had to get to that. So I want to talk about this backstory. Because this is the moment where I was like, this is the dumbest fucking series in the world. So we find out what the backstory of these two characters are. They are currently, by the way, in the midst of punching each other to death in an exploding warehouse. Like, it is a death fight between these two. And you find out that when they were children, I don't know what exact age, somewhere between like five to eight. They're like basically children, children, very small right. age
0: young enough that it makes sense that Kanichi doesn't remember him.
1: Yes, basically. The two of them went to a grocery store that had a gumball machine that sold pins in it. And Odin got a gumball machine, got a got, got a pin that was a kitty pin. And he was like, yep. I don't like this. Here, Kenichi, you can have it. And Kenichi took the pin. Then Moo showed up. Five year old Moo, who that's right. Walks. Yeah, they met they met his children. Who would have thought? He walks in, she walks in, and she has enough money to do the machine once, and she wants a kitty pin, because it's a character trade of moves that she really, really likes kitties. So, she does it, and she gets a yin-yang pin instead of the kitty pin, and she's really upset. And Kenichi sees it, and he's like, I'll trade you my kitty my pin for your yin-yang pin. So they make the trade, and it works out well for both of them.
0: Yeah, because, you know girls are into kitties and boys are into mortal Kombat. Which yes is what we all know yin yang's from <laughs> that's what <laughs> i
1: did so uh then two uh martial arts thugs come in to rob this grocery store because that's just how this works and 5-year-old Moo beats the shit out of both of them. By the way, this is a series that has a prolonged extended conversation about whether or not women can ever compete with men in martial yes. arts and also yeah. then has 5-year-old Moo beat up two grown yes. adults. It is the weirdest uh, ongoing complex. So, the two of them saw Moo do this and they both were like, "Wow, that was really cool. Martial arts is awesome." And they they both kind of fall in love with her they get like a little bit of a crush because they're like wow that was super cool what we saw her do Odin is like hey give me that pin I gave you the kitty pin I want it back and Kenichi's like no you you gave me the other pin like I th- you gave it up I'm, I'm sorry dude and then they have a fight over it which we don't know the result of but presumably Kenichi beats his ass because he's the one who has the pin afterwards and this is no the- no, 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 no no Chris
0: you got a different one <laughs>
1: And this is the defining character trait of Odin is that he was like in that fight, I realized the exhilaration of combat and I realized that is what life should truly be about. And, that that's the backstory and you're like wait a minute wasn't there a promise at some point point? and yes there was a promise something odin shouted at kenichi's car as it was driving away that kenichi <laughs> never heard and is made as a joke in the series despite being built as a very pivotal plot point to their relationship that the dad just drove fat too fast so the kids couldn't say goodbye to each other because he didn't want them to have like a a traumatizing goodbye or something like that. And that's it. That is the, the deep ingrained backstory of these two characters who are beating each other to death on top of an exploding building. <laughs>
0: See, it was better when Berserker was just the leader of Ragnarok.
1: (laughs) He really was. Dude didn't say anything. He just fucking whooped ass. It was like having Brock Lesnar around. He just showed up, kicked ass, and left. Remember
0: when he fought Siegfried, and Siegfried was like, I just roll with all the punches. And he was like, okay, I'll hit you from one side of this fence to the other over and over (laughs) again. (laughs) berserker was great he was such a he was an asshole who never got redeemed he just beat the shit out of people and then left
1: i was gonna say he's the only member of ragnarok who does not help them at some point i don't think does he ever show up later towards the end at all i don't think so yeah i don't uh yeah because he was
0: so simple a character that what was the point but yeah almost every member of ragnarok kenichi beats friendship into with his fists um by the end of the series, the Shimpako Alliance that he's kind of forced to join is ridiculously large and full of former heavy hitters who are now just jobbers to more strong, powerful people. Oh,
1: yeah. That group that's led by Diet Haruma.
0: Very Diet Haruma. <laughs> you know, like, I remember liking Nijima uh, at the beginning, uh, when the first time I read this series. But no, he's just not very fun. I...
1: Yeah, he's he's just bad Haruma, basically.
0: Yeah. At least he has a personality. I'll give him that. I remember certain things that he did because no one else did stuff like him. So, yeah. Uh, And also, he looked like an alien, except no, he didn't. He looked more like a devil. I don't know why they said he looked like an alien. Yeah, I don't. He looked like a kappa or a demon. He did not look like an alien, but they said he looked like an alien. That was
1: that was the character trait I remembered going into it. They were like, yeah, this dude who's like an alien. I was like, he must do something to like have it. So everyone calls him an alien and he doesn't. He doesn't really do anything that makes anyone call him an alien. So I was like, all right. I guess occasionally he grows antenna in certain
0: visuals. But that's, I guess, just for the purpose of people saying he looks like an alien. Yeah. Which I guess made more sense to me than the rabbit that shows up whenever Kenichi has a stupid moment. I didn't understand that ever. (laughs) So. There Basically, it turns out that there is this group of high schoolers who are trying to gang warfare, run the territory. And so when Kenichi starts getting stronger, yes, the fists of Ragnarok start to show up. And Kenichi has to fight them, So, it, which means he has to get even stronger and fight them. And then it turns out that the fists of Ragnarok are actually also in a feud with this bigger group called Yobi, which is very... So, the great thing about the Fists of Ragnarok is they're like, there are seven members of us, except now Kisara has joined, so there are eight Fists of Ragnarok, and however many subordinates each of them have. It's a very evil bad guy villain group. We have numbers, and it's very defined, and each of us has very strong gimmicks, and a gimmick name, and it all makes sense. Yomi's just... There's a weapons division, and a non-weapons division, and... There's like 20 members in the uh, higher higher ups, and there's like a disciples division and a master's
1: division. Well, it's yeah, is, is it Yami is the actual evil martial arts terrorist organization. And then is Yomi the, the subordinate the, group?
0: Yes. So and, that's the other thing. And then with that.
1: and then within Yomi, there's the nine shadow fists. Or yes. something like that, or or I think that might be a part of Yami. There's like nine members.
0: One Shadow Nine Fists is the head of the Yami group, and then there's Yomi, and I think each of the One Shadow Nine Fists are connected to a disciple yeah. within Yomi.
1: They're they're all specifically. Uh, like disciples of it which is why it's relevant because kenichi has been now decreed i don't know by who by beating up one dude that like he's the strongest disciple now that's why all these kids have to go over and fucking murder him that's that's the motivation now
0: it's it's probably nijima's fault yeah
1: i I, i'm sure it's something like that Uh, but then in that group i feel like members are very fluid like Cause he runs in, he definitely fights someone who's a member of Yomi, but not a member of Yomi. Like she's not, they show all of the fists later. It's the first girl he beats up, uh, who he meets who wore like a biker helmet and shit like that to hide her identity. And I'm like, I think she's a member of Yomi, but she's not listed in the group when they show the full group. So maybe she was like an in training member, but there's like a shit. It's there's, there's so many like minor connections to it and i'll be honest so i did not get through the entirety of this series but at the point i got to which is like 200 and some chapters after he beats hermit or not hermit odin and ends the right. of ragnarok he's still fucking fighting yomi that's just the rest of the series to my it understanding is. he just fights them and every member within them for fucking 400 chapters
0: i should also mention that. I didn't get through this all the way either. Both of us had like big personal life things that happened this month. Sorry,
1: yeah um, this month has but, been sadistic for me for entirely different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um the uh, just a
0: very small note, so I took a look at like different points in the series, just kind of see this. The art gets worse as it goes along. Like, it, 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 up to a certain point, it just becomes a more refined version of what it is at the beginning, so it does, is getting better. But then eventually, people's faces get worse, and by the end, they're very flat, and the eyes are way bigger, and it's very, very distracting and annoying that that happened, because it's, it's like, it got a lot more generic. Yeah, I don't know. There's, hate-
1: there's a lot of weird art in this series, too, because sometimes, like, it definitely is a series that has a lot of like comedic expressions within it. Yes. Um and then there's points where characters will have an appearance and you can't tell if the face they're making is the way it is because the series is trying to be comedic with itself or if it's just because the art is not particularly good. Um there's like a scene that I particular I, sh- I shared it on Discord. I don't remember what her fucking name was. She was like the little girl member of Yomi, the one who looks very, very young. They take her to a diner and she's looking at a menu. And I think her eyes are supposed to be blank because it's like, oh, this is culture shock. She doesn't know. But it looks like she's a fucking like deviant art drawing by a 12 year old. Like the eyes are too big, but aren't perfectly centered. So they both kind of look like they're staring off into different directions. (laughs) And it's someone being like, check out my OC going to Denny's. And that's the only thing I can see when I see the shot.
0: Uh, there's also the problem that because the series has a very big male gaze problem, that there are like entire accounts online that are dedicated to when girls, you know, twist their bodies around into what are called like Escher poses. So the boobs and the butt are facing the same way, so you get them both in the shot. Miyu does this so many times; mm-hmm. it's very distracting because. I don't know how to describe Mia's clothing other than she wears a leotard all the time. Unless she's in a swimsuit or she's naked.
1: Yes. Or, or, or her high school uniform.
0: Right. She can't. Well, no, she doesn't because she wears panties.
1: She specifically has a moment where she leaps down from the top and realizes she flashes someone right behind her and she just screams, I forgot I was wearing a skirt. And it was one of yeah. those moments of like. I guess, theoretically, that could happen.
0: (laughs) Uh, But when she is in said leotard, she is constantly twisting around to look around her in different directions so that her spine can twist her boobs to be in line with her butt. And this leotard is not so much skin type as tighter than skin tight. You can see her nipples individually through it. And look, I'm not saying, like, don't draw fan service or anything like that. It's really weird to me that you've set up this character as already very strong, can look after herself, is a a badass, is a fighter. But she's really only there to be the perfect girl. And that's just kind of it. Her dream is to be a housewife which is fine but it's really weird that it's like okay here's this perfect martial arts martial artist she's very strong and she's just there for you to look at her and that's really it when Kenichi says his goal in martial arts is to be strong enough that he can protect Miu it is but one way that demonstrates that he is a sexist asshole. Yes. He says this and really doesn't really ever change from wanting to do that. There are, it comes to a point several times where he will fight alongside Mew, but that's still like, oh, I want to like win Mew's heart. He's crushing on her from like the very beginning, but you know what? Sure. There's this beautiful, very strong, talented girl came into his life when he had no one. He gravitated towards her. Sure. The way he fawns over her, though, is really creepy and really annoying. He will, like, constantly be daydreaming about ways that she will, like, be getting close to him physically. Uh, He has a dream at one point where he gets strong enough to actually beat his masters. And then he is like, yay, now we can be together. Whatever. That's, like, standard. The reason that he agrees to start being a live-in disciple at the dojo, meaning that he doesn't have to like travel uh, home so that they have more time to train him, is because Kensei convinces him that if he lives at the dojo, then there will be all sorts of situations where he'll stumble into Miu or Shigure's rooms while they're naked. And that is why he decides to join them. He also refuses to fight girls yes and it's not a matter of like it, it he thinks it's chivalry i know but it doesn't make any sense like there are these girls who are stronger than him beating the shit out of him and he's like no i can't fight girls and sometimes it's used for laughs and sometimes it's a big noble thing where he's like, I've sworn never to hit a girl when literally one of the founding elements of Kisara's character <coughs> is that Thank you. is that she hates it when guys look down on her and refuse to fight her seriously. There is a flashback. One of the first times you see her where she remembers back when she was first getting into Taekwondo and her opponent, she's smart with her opponent. And then afterwards found out her opponent went easy on her because she was just a girl. And she's like, I hate that. And I want men to take me seriously when I fight them. And she's like, I can't fight girls. And he never budges from that <laughs> mindset.
1: Yeah. And again, you you had to understand the context in which this series works, because it is it is a major plot point that Kisara wants to prove. She could fight on an equal level because she also doesn't want to use weapons because weapons in this world are supposedly the equalizer that allows women to fight par with par, uh, par on par with um, men. That, that's Freya's whole thing. She trained specifically in weapons because it allows her to compete with men. And Kisara was a disciple of Freya's. She Ch- chose not to follow her anymore because she didn't want to use weapons, which is weird. I took Taekwondo. You learn weapon stuff in Taekwondo. So I always found that mildly <laughs> amusing. Um, so Kisara has that element. Fights Freya. Supposedly, I guess, proves her way of thinking, right? Cause Freya is kind of shown to be in the wrong with the way she does things. Um, Then they have a tournament and Kisara fights a guy and beats him. And at no point during the entire process is it mentioned, oh, this is a pretty significant thing. Kisara beat a man. Because again, it fucking shouldn't have been. This series is dumb. Kenichi gets his fucking face sumo slapped into a slap of concrete. It pops right up. I'm not following this series for realism. This is a dumb series. I don't need to be like, women can't fight men. That's absurd. I was like, five-year-old Moo beat up two grown fucking adults. So clearly, we're not really caring about this shit. Because I'm going to tell you what. I could stomp the shit out of any fucking amount of four-year-olds you throw at me right now. Throw a 100 at me. I'm going to fucking bootstomp their faces into the goddamn earth if we're talking real life. God damn it. But anyway, I don't understand why there is an entire side subplot for Kisara about her ability to whether or not she could fight a man and whether or not you would need weapons to do it, and it never gets followed up on. She fights another woman, seems to reach some kind of catharsis by beating her, and that it is never a plot point to be addressed later on when she actually fights against men. It's just, it exists at the start to be aggressively annoying in the context of the story.
0: I... I'm not going to try and say like, oh, Kenichi should be punching the shit out of women. I don't think that. I think that there is a gradient curve on which to judge male versus female violence in any form of uh, fiction and entertainment. Uh, and i think that if you say if you justify it in terms of oh well we're putting them on an equal level when really you just want to see you know women get the shit being out of them that's really bad but you know what is also really bad having four trained martial arts women with weapons all trying to fight a guy who says oh i can't fight women and is very easily enduring everything that they throw at him and dodging around every blow that they make when there was a girl who is probably stronger than him who was getting the shit beaten out of her by it. It makes it out like, oh, well, clearly he's just way stronger than them because they're just girls. And he's right not to raise a hand against them. How noble is our hero Kenichi for not trying to fight those very weak, frail ladies. It's demeaning. And it really rings hollow to have this character whose whole thing is about trying to prove that she is as strong as any competitor, male or female. If, she never really gets that moment where she's like proven correct or proves that she hasn't been wasting your tr- time trying to set her sights on this.
1: I just, so, I don't understand these series because they currently running and jump and also has this plot point now as a thing. And I'm like, I don't understand. The moment you start showing these characters are superhuman ridiculous, you, you can't then also sell me on the story that women can't compete with men on fights because it, 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 I don't fucking care anymore. The text constantly proves this is an irrelevant factor. Like, It
0: really just goes to show that, the, that this series has a very straightforward opinion about women, which is they are there to be admired. And nowhere was this more annoying to me. So Miu has this thing where if someone is behind her, she will throw them. Mm. She'll judo throw them because her instincts kick in from all of her martial arts training. So we get a lot of pratfalls from Kenichi because he, you know, tries to just chase after her when she runs or he tries to, you know, just get her on the shoulder to get her attention and Joe, ha. Throw him. Oh, Kenichi got, got his ass. Whap, Miu's so strong and he's so weak. It happens to other characters too. And so it's like, hey, this person thinks that Miu needs to be protected. But oh, she's so much stronger. Hey. It's lots of fun. You know what's the one time that Miu doesn't throw someone who gets behind her? It's when she's watching Kenichi fighting a dude on the street. And the guy's underlings get behind Miu and start feeling her up. And she doesn't do anything to them. Why? Because she's fulfilling her purpose, which is to be sexually attractive in this series. Hence, her her running gag does not kick in because that would ruin the reason why she's there, which yeah. is to be ogled. So I want. Get... Oh, sorry. Uh, this is this is related to the um, Kenichi won't fight women thing, um, which is. Kenichi has this thing where very early on, he decides that the type of martial arts he wants to be is someone who only uses it to defend himself and to protect others that he cares about. Okay. You know, it's good shonen hero vibes. Sure. Two things about this though. One, very petty, but very straightforward and easy to point out examples. So Nijima, who is Kanichi's only friend at the start of the series. Basically, he's the first one to, to decide that, hey, I can use this guy while he's getting stronger. And so he does. Um, Keeps on doing this thing where he basically tries to become a mob boss by, you know, gathering all these strong fighters around him so that he, and proclaiming himself their leader so that he can, you know, amass power. So Kenichi, having said the only reason you should use your martial arts to fight people is to protect yourself and others you care about. Won't stop beating up Nijima when he does (laughs) this. He won't stop slapping the shit out of him. And it's like, listen, I know you're trying to make a joke out of this, but you're a fucking hypocrite, Kenichi. (laughs) You're beating up this guy who you know is garbage weak. He is a non-combatant and he... Can't defend himself against you beating the shit out of him for what it really to you is just a slight annoyance.
1: Yeah. You're a bully. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, Kenichi's an asshole. Like he's just a dickhead through and through. Um, I want I want to talk about something. I want I don't want to pull us too far off, but I want to talk about something particularly about this series and how we had to consume it because, as you mentioned at the start, this series does not have any kind of official manga translation whatsoever the only way to read this is through scanlations and this is a series that was scanlated in the mid to early 2000 or mid to late 2000s and the quality of it is horrendous now look i don't particularly want to sit here shit too hard on the people who worked on this because a lot of people just do it as a you know a, a passion project or whatever but i have to stress how difficult it is to physically read a series like this. And there is a scene that happens where Kenichi is fighting that roller skating martial arts girl. Uh, <laughs> and... <is> <laughs> yeah, that happens. Uh, duh, yeah. Uh, so he fights her, and because he's, he doesn't want to fight her, because he doesn't want to hurt women, so he's he's kind of just dodging her. But he has several moments where he could have taken her out, but he's not, because he's not trying to hurt her. And basically... She finally gets a moment where she would kill him. She's like, your throat's open. She's going in for the kill. But she stops. She doesn't kill him. And it's because she's like, look, he could have killed me a couple times, so I can't. And the way she describes why she did what she does is she says, I have no choice because I, too, have proudness as a martial artist. Proudness! (laughs) proudness not pride i do have pride as a martial artist fucking proudness and it's one of those moments where you just sit there. You're like, I don't, Nick, I can't tell if I hate Siegfried for right reasons. I can't tell if he's actually as obnoxious as he is or if it's because he's just translated in the most infuriating, stupid, bullshit way possible. I don't know. And every time he showed us, I had to just keep flipping. I was like, I can't understand what this stupid character is saying. I have no idea. I, that answer... <clears throat> This Siegfried will tell you if you defeat him. I, is that how Siegfried actually talks, or is it a bad Scanlation? I do not know.
0: And we'll never know because I don't think this series is getting adapted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I to give like an overarching thought on this series. I want to talk about something that didn't occur to me until I was reading it this time at all, uh, which was. So Kenichi has this big thing about using martial arts to protect, exclusively to protect. And you know what? Different people practice martial arts for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, some do it purely for like, you know, to improve themselves uh, physically, to either, you know, get more physically fit or to learn specific techniques in order to become combatants. Some do it as a way to grow uh, spiritually or emotionally, uh, to, you know, find some so- something that gives them a sense of calmness or uh, a sense of strength uh, and so on. Kenichi goes around telling people that they're doing martial arts wrong. (laughs) (laughs) When, when, when he is a rookie at martial arts. Yes, there's that. And also this dude doesn't know why He's doing what he's told to do a lot of the time. He only understands martial arts from a mean, from a perspective of being stronger physically, as in I've gone through all these torturous training regimens. And so therefore I am tougher and faster and stronger Mm -hmm. and tactics where people tell him, if you move your body this way, your opponent will fall into this and so on. Eventually, some elements of philosophy get thrown in there, but they are very much secondary to the other things that he is doing. And he has the cojones to go around telling people martial arts shouldn't be done this way. It's wrong to do martial arts this way. When he's basically just gone on vacation to Europe and decided he knows everything about Spanish culture because of it. (laughs) This is the closest I have ever encountered a series in which there is Asian mysticism going on being demonstrated by a series written by an Asian person about Asian people. And yet it still feels really racist because it's talking about these things that have these long histories of many different sorts that are just being put under this umbrella of this is how you do this. Listen to me, a guy who's been doing martial arts for three months. Fuck can <laughs>
1: uh, I, I want to, can I, can I move this aside real quick to talk about another arc? Yeah. Cuz okay. I want I want to talk. I'm trying to even remember the name of this fucking thing. I think it's just called like the D&D tournament or something right. like that. And there was a point in time cuz I read this chat this series like 20 chapters at a time and there was one point where I was like on the 19th chapter or the 20th chapter of the night and for whatever reason I got distracted and lost sight of it and I was like, "You know what? I I I don't want to go back and read that chapter. I'm just going to start from the next one." Apparently, I missed the point where this tournament was even brought up cuz I was like the moment I read it, it was like We're doing one thing. And then the next chapter starts like, we're off to the tournament, everybody! And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I missed half of a chapter. What happened? But they go off to this tournament. I need to establish. The reason they're going off to this tournament, I believe, is because a member of Yomi is in the tournament. It is the Castor and Pollock twins, or siblings, whatever their names are. Uh, They're in this tournament. There is a larger antagonist, Kano, another member of Yomi, who is Present at this island where this is all taking place. He is not in the tournament. He is not involved. He is he is present physically on the island. He is not entered into this tournament. Now, very clearly you realize this tournament has very little in the ways of actual like rules and structures because it's supposed to be for like an under 18 tournament and the grandpa sneaks in by just putting on a mask. It's a very silly loosey yeah. goose kind of it's it's yeah. run by a Vince McMahon style character who's yeah. like I'll allow it.
0: And then and then he gets disqualified because he proclaims to be eighteen, and then they say, wait, mate, it's an under eighteen. And he's like, hey. Oh You sh- got me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Kenichi and Mu are a team. They are specifically a team on one side of the tournament and the rest of the Shimpaku Alliance is on the other side of it. We go through this whole arc. It's mostly just an excuse for a bunch of fighting of various characters. So everyone in the Shippaku you know, Alliance.
0: Like, like like the whole series.
1: Yeah. they Everyone in the Shippaku Alliance could show off how they fight and everything like that. Kenichi gets a couple fights where he gets to show off how cool he is and do some teamwork with Mu. Uh, but we get to, like, the semifinals. And on one end, Kenichi is about to fight against the members of Yomi that they came into this tournament to fight. The Castor and Pollux twins or whatever their names were. And then on the other side of it, the Shipaku Alliance are going to fight against, uh, against a bunch of like Roman gladiators. I forget what their name—Panharmonicon or some stupid bullshit like that. That's a magic card, but it's something <laughs> dumb. Um, Kano kills, quote unquote, that entire group, and he's like, "I shall enter into this tournament now." And Vince McMahon-like figures like, "Oh, wow, it sounds good." So immediately. The Shimpaku Alliance group is like, we concede. We have no more fighters left. I, I do not want to have this fight. We're going to lose. We concede. So they're going to move on to the finals. And then Kano looks to the caster and Pollock twins and is like, you guys concede. And they're like, we don't want to. He says, do it. So they concede. So now yeah. it's going to be Kenichi and Mu versus Kano in the finals. But then the island starts getting bombed. Just starts getting fucking invaded by like a US secret service agency here to take down a bunch of criminals. So in the process of all of that Kanichi. And Kano just fight because, hey, we're in the same room together. That's what we do. We just fight. And they fight for, like, 15 fucking chapters. Like, that's how most fights in this series go. They go for a really, really long time. Kano eventually loses but then dies trying to protect Kenichi. But the thing that pisses me off, this tournament is a sham. It's a fucking sham from every level. They still treat Kenichi like he won the tournament but not Moo. She's also on his team! I don't... It is so weird that she doesn't also get any of the payoff to that. Everyone's like, she won the D&D tournament! And they are like, well, What the fuck? That She was there for the other fights? I don't... What are you even talking about? <sighs>
0: well, you know, that's how a partnership between a man and a woman works. The man gets all the credit, and the woman gets to be there and look pretty.
1: I guess, yeah. It's just one of those things. You're like, all right. That was fun, I suppose. I think that by the
0: time that I got I got to that point, I was just kind of... So in the first instance, I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and the second time reading through, I was just kind of blissing through it. So that didn't even occur to me. But when you say it like that, yes, you're completely correct. Cool,
1: because you're like, this tournament was a fucking gigantic waste of time because you went into the tournament to fight one particular person and you never fought them. He like, eventually they fight fucking whatever her name, Rachel, something, another. They fight her. way later her on. And I think Renka fights her. I don't know. Renka sucks. And their so
0: come off. And yeah,
1: Re- Renka sucks so much. I le- it was legitimately the point I was like, I-, I can't read any more of this. I skipped the entire fight. I was like, I do not care about Renka having a one on one fight at all. So I just flashed over it. And that was the point where I was like, all right, we're just going to start zooming through some stuff.
0: There's a lot of women in this series that just just that just, are just there. But Renka in particular, she is just there so that there can be another love interest for Kenichi to cause love triangle stuff. Because, of course, Miu wouldn't realize she liked Kenichi if there weren't another girl. The key to getting a girl to fall in love with you is to make her jealous because all women are jealous at their cores because the series is sexist.
1: On a metatextual level as well, she also makes Kensei worse than he already is because Kensei is a weird pervert. But then you find out he has a daughter the exact same age as all these girls he's perving on, and you're like, yeah. you took an already horrifically gross thing and you've made it significantly worse. And you have abandoned your family, by the way. I don't I never got like the full story of it, but he's like, Yeah, I'm essentially like kind of like the leader of like a despot assassin organization or something like that over in China. I didn't want to do that anymore, so I left my family behind. And my daughter eventually, I guess, chased after me to find me. Ooh, my daughter, get away from me. I'm going to wackily dodge you and then try to look up other high school girls' skirts. And you're like, man, you really are fucking fighting, clawing to be the worst character in this series. It's tough competition. You have to, you have to
0: like put in the extra effort in order to make it. But I think he does. Yeah. I think he does. I have said what I wanted to say about this series. And I think I'm done now. And I think that the last thing that I personally want to say is a long time ago, we talked about a martial arts series that you liked a lot more than me. And I compared it negatively to History's Strongest Disciple, Kenichi. I would like to retract that statement. (laughs)
1: Is that Holy Land?
0: Yes, it was Holy Land. I would like to retract that statement and say you were probably right the whole time, Chris.
1: Now, <laughs> it <let's>, that's, that's <laughs> it. We also haven't reread Holy Land since then. No, so... That's a good point. We are... <laughs> Holy Land could also not hold up. I don't know. Wait a minute. Um...
0: I don't even remember women being in Holy Land.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't. Um, I-, I will say this. I I came away from this series thinking I do not think this would be as bad. As some of the other stuff, like this, isn't as you know aggressively obnoxious like Air Gear. It's not as um you know obnoxiously stupid and try hard as Prince of Tennis. It's you know it's not as overwhelmingly trying to be edgy and cool like Code Breakers. It's not an actual crime like the other one. Uh, it's it's not quite in that sphere. But reading it the way we did is the most sadistic way you could do it. Because the biggest thing this. with this series is its length and its content. Like I can't stress enough. This series is supported so much on the notion of just every fight is five or six chapters long. And it's not interesting. Every fight is very long. And then you will just have a character. It will be a character who will be like, Kenichi, remember that time your teacher taught you to spin kick? Oh, yeah, I should spin kick. That's a whole chapter. Then they'll spin kick somebody and the person may get knocked down or they may get back up and you'll just do back and forth and back and forth on that for fucking ever for characters who don't matter. There was like a 10 chapter fight against a dude who was the apprentice of an assassin that I think Shigure or Kensei fought. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Shigure. And I don't think he was a member of Yomi. I don't think he was a member of any group, but he was an antagonist for Kenichi to fight. So the, the combat took an entire month essentially month plus in terms of like reading material. So I don't actually, I thought the series got better as it went along because Kanichi got actually stronger and you stop seeing him be a gigantic wuss. And he starts actually kind of kicking ass, which I thought was somewhat cool, but it's also just not a fun series to read. Like it's just the action sucks and it goes on for fucking ever. I think
0: that even if, you like the stuff that it does. You have to be really into like every part of this series, including the way that it does fight scenes, the way that it does training arcs and the way that it shows women's jiggly bits, because there's a lot of it and there's a lot more of the last one as time goes on. Yeah. If you are cool with that, if you're into that, great, but I will still warn you. I like eating popcorn. <laughs> I could not eat 300 bags of popcorn in one (laughs) city. So, (laughs) um, and if you know what, if I had to, if I were like, I'm going to eat this entire bag of popcorn every single week, I would also get tired of that eventually. So be forewarned. There's a lot of the same stuff in this over and over and over again. Uh, and hey, we managed to get through the entire thing without talking about the one time that Chiguro got captured and they took all of her clothes off because, quote, any object in her hands is a weapon. We can't leave her with any clothes. Okay, so. <laughs> got it. All right.
1: Uh, let's talk about my hero. Look, look forward to next year's Sadistic September, everybody. Uh, I've got, a, I've got a good idea what it's
0: going to be. It's going to be Chris's turn to pick next time, guys. But in the We're meantime, going back
1: to Kodomo noji again. I think this time we've got some more things to investigate.
0: There. I'm I'm three years older now. It's even more disturbing <laughs> that I would have to do that.
1: <laughs> like, what if there was like a sequel series and they're like, it's the same thing, but the girl's two years younger? I'm like, oh man, you're really going, you're really going, you're really going out of your way to
0: try to make this already uncomfortable situation worse. It's the exact same series, except we didn't actually wait for her to be technically legal before they (laughs) (laughs) Oh And romanticized the hell out of it. (laughs) Oh, oh, God. Out of all the things that we've done, I think that that's the one that's given me the most... PTSD
1: (laughs) it's great because like actual trauma I've repressed so much of it it's just it's just you shove it Dean like so down no one can find it
0: oh god all right let's move on to talk about our weekly series the recap portion of the manga recap we are given a little bit of a reprieve fortunately this week but we are still going to need to probably blitz our way through most of this so we're going to start with My Hero Academia it's chapter number 327. Rest! It's it's rest, but there's two exclamation points. So, you know, excitedly rest. Okay, so it turns out that all the jokes about Deku being stinky... We weren't really stretching very far <laughs> from what Horikoshi wanted everyone to do, I guess. Because there is a good quarter of a chapter dedicated to Deku is smelly. Let's clean him the fuck up and also show off how ripped all the dudes in class. 1A <laughs> There's a lot of fan service, uh, for those who enjoy the male body, uh, in this, in this opening, uh, lots of meaty calves and pecs and biceps and abs. Uh, and there is a comedic sequence where a Deku is quickly thrown into a bath and scrubbed down, uh, At a distance by people i don't know what they're doing do they have like pressure washer shower heads is that what's going on i I guess there's soap too and then they duck him in the in the uh, in the bath and everyone's like yay now you're all clean deku um there is um more stuff that happens they kind of tease bakugo because he's still you know shouting and cursing at people despite the fact that he apologized to deku earlier and it's like well yeah that's bakugo's character even when he's being a good boy he's yelling and cursing about it that is just how he do uh those who are still conscious in class 1a gather in the uh lounge the common area uh uraraka is established to have passed out as soon as everything was over Fair enough. They spent a long time trying to chase this boy down, and then she had to give a stressful speech on top of it. There is a weird joke that I made note of when I first read this that I was like, I don't get it, which is Todoroki walks into the room drying his hair, and Mita talks about how, for whatever reason, why did you naturally come into the room doing that? To which I thought, because he's drying his hair. Like, that's not... I know that that's like, you know, oh... It's, it's a cliche thing to indicate he's just bathed. But you got to dry your <laughs> hair. Like, yeah. Um, Deku was thinking about All Might and how he treated him badly because, hey, you know, he didn't take that bento he was trying to give him. You awful, you awful boy. you. Uh, Todoroki points out that All Might is creeping in the window because, I don't know. waiting for people to pay attention to him
1: because he can you know it's like in the creepiest way he's like i could just stand out the window and everyone's gonna think i'm a monster i'm crazy (laughs) it's halloween i've got to get into the spirit of the season
0: uh all might apologize for not being of more help to deku and deku's like no you've always been helpful to me and he just he doesn't apologize for forgetting to show it though come on deku be better Uh, then Ashido, however, brings up like, Hey, you know, you just kind of like ran out on us. Can we get an apology too? And all might does not, there's a lot of, there's several apologies that should be happening that aren't here. So come on guys. It's okay. to, It's okay to show some, to eat some crow and, you know, show some humility now. Uh, he does however, apologize for quote, any anxiety I may have caused. That's not an apology. Come on. All might do better. Uh, But then we get to the big thing, which is that they need to muster forces because the big thing is going to happen soon. We aren't really given a lot of details just yet. Uh, Deku says, hey, you know, I got messed up because I didn't have you around before. Even those lunchboxes were you know, really helpful to me. So let's go and do this together. And All Might smiles. And it's a nice little smile. Uh, But then he says he has to go and speak with Endeavor's group. And... Then there's a really weird thing that happens again. There are some things with these, you know, slightly less important 1A characters that are happening that I don't really understand where, where, where they're coming from. Like, Ashido looks at Tokuyami, and she says, Are you mad or something? Angry Yami? Which... He doesn't look angry. He says he's racked with concern. Which... Most people would be in this situation. Yeah. Sure. Well, she's just
1: trying to be empathetic to the team, you know? And she's just she's trying to read. But, you know, maybe she's not good at reading everybody's body language at the moment.
0: He is also a bird boy.
1: Yeah, so. he doesn't have uh, the common things you would use to establish uh, facial body language. He just has a bird head. So, you know. Maybe she, maybe she looks at all birds and thinks they're angry. She's like, she's like a bunch of bird. Like she goes to a bird sanctuary. She's like, what are you doing to all these birds? They're so angry.
0: She watches happy feet. And she's just like,
1: I don't know. They didn't seem happy. All these these a- like birds, these penguins are so angry.
0: I was going to say something about maybe she just assumes he has an angry eyebrow but it blends in with his with his feather features but that's a way better than
1: She just thinks. she she watches Aladdin she's like that parrot's furious
0: <laughs> I mean that's a more accurate observation than happy feet
1: I guess well that's what her da- her you know her parents said that at the time they were just like yeah that bird is pretty What's angry that bird sound and, like and- that <laughs> Because he likes money and will take any deal to get it, and she's like, "Birds are so greedy and mean." <laughs> That's where our bird prejudices started.
0: Oh boy! Some someone pay Gilbert Godfrey on, on cameo to reassure us <laughs> that not all birds are angry. Oh. So the, so they talk about the situation that they're in for a little bit, what the different heroes are doing. Uh, people observe that Deku has just passed out in a chair. Makes sense. Todoroki, like a sweet boy, tucks him in. Uh, and uh, then he just brings up like, hey, you know, I also have like some very personal connection to the stuff that's going on because, you know, I'm Dobby's brother and I'm Endeavor's son. Uh, so I think that in addition to us just being here, that probably I personally am viewed as like a liability as a concern and potential targets. Um, and, uh, Kirishima just says, that's some heavy family drama. (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, he's trying. (laughs) um, but he says, well, yeah, that must suck. I mean, you didn't even do anything wrong. But Todoroki, edgelord that he has says, in a way I did, obsessed with the blood in my veins, I lost sight of my origin. <laughs> All right. He does, however, immediately then says, like, hey, but I, I've changed and I'm going to prove it until nobody has to worry about me anymore. Ah, oh, look at you, trying to be a good a good boy to everyone around you. <laughs> um. Jiro then says, hey, you know, everyone's under all this stress right now, so this isn't the same situation as before, but I've got an idea. And she ropes in all the people that were in the band with her before, and she says, hey, remember that there were these people that were really not happy with us and our status and how we were kind of responsible for the attacks on UA? If we want to reassure people and bring smiles to their faces, I've got an idea. Uh and uh so they seem to agree with the idea to, you know, basically do a repeat of the school festival, um, or a different take on it, presumably.
1: Maybe guy just uh, does the same song again, everyone starts booing her, like, we already heard it, boo! look well, guys, writing songs is hard,
0: and I've been trying to save the world. <laughs> I fought a
1: mountain guy. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! I want to hear a new play, Free Bird. That's also not new. <laughs> it's just Ashido in the background, be like, "I'm tired of these songs about angry birds. It's it's so <laughs> frustrating. Every it's like it's talking about southern pride and shit like that, but it must be a very angry bird at the center of it."
0: Everyone's like Ashido, why are you so? Obs- why did that one game completely color your your perception of birds? What game? <laughs>
1: Wasn't that a documentary that I played? to earn three stars on. That's when you find out Ashido's parents are green pigs. You're like, oh, this is where it all comes around. He's just fallen prey to their conspiracy. It's just propaganda. It's just pig kingdom propaganda. I get it. All right. I don't. I don't think
0: we've ever seen Ashido's parents. So you're gonna have uh, so yeah, they say that this will that this can be just one of the ways that they can you know help make the world better by going beyond in a different way. Then we get a, a lot of exposition provided by Hawks, whose throat seems to have recovered because he his word bubbles look normal now. Um, info, 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 info. They uh, have learned from Garaki, who I think is. One of the guys that we saw Deku fight and capture, but I can't even remember. Uh, And so they've got some information on the no move manufacturer and stuff like that. But the most helpful information has actually been provided, of course, by Stain. And they also say that in addition to the information that he provided, there was a weird deranged love letter to All Might attached to it. And then, Ende- and then Cox proves that he has completely missed the point of the previous chapter by saying, "Who would have thought that the hero killer would end up a hero ally?" No, he said the opposite. Don't don't go thinking that.
1: No, he's stop it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh this is a fine. I think this is a chapter that certain members of this podcast like one other certain members of this podcast and that Jiro gets a cool moment and they're stinky deco into a bathtub.
0: Yeah, this was a great chapter probably for, you know, us. <laughs> <laughs> people who listen to this podcast and also people like me who know that Jiro was better than everyone. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, I do definitely see your point. There's not a lot of stuff exciting that happens in it. And also, they really only just hint towards future developments, not big future developments yet.
1: I do get the impression this is meant to be a relaxing chapter. Like, this is a cool-down chapter in that way. So, yeah, I do appreciate it. It's just not, you know, it's not going to be my favorite chapter of the week or anything like that. Spoilers. Oh. I actually don't my, remember what my favorite chapter of the week is. I'm going to find out as we read the chapters this week.
0: Uh, my chapter of the week is chapter 400 something or other of Kenichi. The one with the big two page spread of Shigurei's butt going across them because that happened once. Did it? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking the <It's> like, porn. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think that if you do like an image search for Kenichi, that's one of the top results. So
1: just Kenichi Just history strongest Disciple okay. Kenichi let's, let's see history's Strongest Disciple Kenichi Image search Uh it Looks like a woman is being punched So hard her clothes explode off And she's going insane yeah. So there's that Uh another character's Clothes exploding off I don't see a giant butt yet though Oh there it is Hey, I was there, right. There's, there's some giant butts. <laughs> what a anyway. Dumb, what a dumb fucking series. Moving on. Let's talk about Undead Unluck, number eight. It's hard letting go. And uh, last time, Andy showed up at the top of the tower and professed his love for Fuko. So he shoots himself into the, the top of the Tokyo Tower where Billy is with uh, Yasai, I think is her name. And... Immediately, Billy's like, "Foolish! I will stop him with unmove." Huh? He cut my leg to combat unmove, and uh, Andy uses unlock to uh, uses unlock bullets and goes to fire them off. He, he stops. You say who tries to cut him with a flaming sword, and uh, he's like, "Hey, long time no see." They do the unlock bullets immediately. Bi- Billy's like, "What the fuck? When did they do this? When when did they start doing this bullshit?" Um, and they escape. And Billy is just like, You say, care to explain why your sword play seemed hesitant? And Yusai is like, Why don't we just let them kill Spring? Like, let them just do it. Like, they're going to. That's and they're like, He says, Unluck that relies on the actions of others can't possibly kill Spring up top. I'm going after undead. And I made sure to give Billy's, uh, or Fuko, or Andy rather, afterwards, like, I made sure to give Billy's like, some nasty cuts so that they're harder to regenerate. That should give us a little bit of time. So it's just Fuko and Andy for the moment. And the two of them have a chance to kind of talk. And Andy's just like, hey, you did really good. Like, because of what you did, Winter didn't do any, like, long-term damage, and we were able to come up with an operation for this plan, and I could really tell that you've gotten stronger throughout all this. And then he just asks, like, how did you feel about all this time apart? Or or rather, Foucault asked that. And he says, I felt like death was around the corner. And she's like, what, like for me? And he's like, fuck you. Don't you underestimate me. I was handling everything fine. He's like, I shouldn't have talked. I should have shut my goddamn mouth. I was doing so well. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah. Uh, even kind of notes like. He said something when she was outside the tower and Fuku didn't actually get the chance to hear it. So she's like, hey, what were you saying? And he's like, uh, that you sure got pretty. And she's like, that's not what you said. You're lying. That didn't match your lip flaps. (laughs) He's like, ah, well, anyway, once this is all over, we're going to have an important talk. And uh, suddenly the tower starts leaning over spring even says zounds how very odd this tower i stand upon now leans ever so and we see you billy the
0: word zounds i have to say
1: yes uh and billy is floating in the air saying this is a certain architect's abil- ability on balance it negates the balance of buildings and he notes that the Union's abilities aren't the only ones he could use. And he, I almost wish he was, like, floating there a confident. Like, I did not think I was going to get to use this one. I'm pretty <laughs> stoked. I, this is a fucking... <laughs> this is like when you draw that weird pet card in Magic that you're like, I shouldn't... This this card's only in my deck because I like it. And it ends up, actually, when you do the game, it's like the best feeling. Like, holy shit, I got to use Unbalance on them. Like, Fuck yeah, I got to use Unbalance!
0: You remember... <laughs> Do you, remember, do you remember the guy from Jackie Chan Adventures, Hawk fu You know, oh. the guy who had all the crazy move names and the yeah. red hair, when he got the uh, tiger talisman, and he was like, Ah, the talisman of balance! Now you cannot
1: knock me over! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Jackie Chan Adventures is the best. I don't know why. Ah, such a good series. Um, So, immediately, and he's like, holding on to the tower with his sword, and he's like, why is he floating? What's he doing? And then he notices the building starts snapping back, and he's like, shit. So he has to let go, and immediately, that gives Billy the opportunity to hit him with Unmove. And he says, hey, yeah, it's good that you released your grip, because if you hadn't, you would have been flung into the distance, and you would have survived, but Unleck probably would have been murdered when you flung her into the distance and, and, and got crushed. So, you know, it worked, but Now it's weak. You guys have vulnerabilities because you have to protect each other. And then he looks behind him and he's like, wait a minute. That's not, god damn it. That's not fucking unmoved. That's her fucking jacket and her glove that's somehow sticky to you really closely. And we see Fuko is attached to the building and uh, Clothy is there with her, basically made a jacket. So she's going to start climbing. And uh, Andy just shouts out, I believe in you. With how you are now, I know you can beat Spring. Yeah. Clothy essentially became a harness for, yeah. vest for her. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, I I did not expect that uh, Billy would try and bend the tower over and flick it
1: back. Swing. <laughs> <to try laughs> <to attack>.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's also a, a cool thing that kind of brings a little bit of, um, uh, Oh. Uh, uh, and in um
1: eroticism no okay uh, blah, oh inception yes okay <laughs> not erotic at all i don't know some people
0: were into that um,
1: <laughs> some people were into the sound i'm sure there were a bunch yeah. of people who probably orgasm to that sound mm. imagine so... it they're weirdos christopher nolan fans
0: Christopher Nolan uh so <laughs> um yeah nice here nice chapter uh just kind of yeah, yeah. A, a couple fun moments I do like the conversation that Andy and Fuko have and I do really do like the detail that you know Andy says the big thing but he's outside the window of the tower so of course you can't hear him so
1: yeah uh all right let's move along Nick to Eden and Zero <sighs> okay i hear that big sigh so you know for a good time chapter 161 life continues to fade and we see not uh gerard on the cover and the dead dude and a third guy who i don't give a shit about yeah so last time the great hero jesse shot uh creed right through the heart and fucking murdered him and he starts the chapter by uh Running away, Creed, uh, Weiss shows up having never held a gun before in his life. He has, no, he has no idea how it's to be held, shows up, and Jesse bravely runs away to fight again another day, to kill another bullshit character again another day, hopefully.
0: If he sees a character about to confess their romantic feelings for another character, he's going to
1: shoot them first and then cry <laughs> God, I want this character to stay dead so fucking hard. I'm, I'm like, oh, me too. Yeah, like part of me is like. You know, it'd be a really effective way for me to actually hate the chronophage like as an antagonistic force if it goes back and eats like 10 minutes and then brings back what's his name? Speak it into existence! Stop it! (laughs) Man, it'd be so fucking dope if that dude just got shot through the heart and died, though. Uh, Hamora puts his glasses back on him and Weiss is like, Oi, who's this, then? And she's like, a friend from home who's dead. All my friends die and we cut away. Uh, and Hold weirdly, oh. so to your
0: point, so I was actually going to say, like, you know what, if he's dead, then I can actually understand this being used to add some dramatic weight to Homura, who who is, of course, lost uh, people very close to her, uh, in particular, people who love her. Yeah, Um, not like just over oh, friends and stuff. But when I think to the fact that she's on a crew surrounded by people who haven't died, in fact, the survival rate of members of the crew of Eden Zero is very, very, very high. It is 100%. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The
1: The current crew, old crew has one dead person, but...
0: What was the old crew?
1: Uh, Hamora, or or Valkyrie. The the original uh, Four Shining Stars, yeah.
0: While she has been on the Eden Zero no one on it has died and they are all her friends that's kind of my point which kind of takes away a little bit from her point of everyone who gets close to me every one of them they all go away so,
1: no I, I mean i can understand yes yeah i can understand her having that thought process just because she's very emotional seeing somebody die um so it's one of those things where like look if you actually. Stuck, like took a step back and and evaluate everything in your life. You'd realize you actually have a ton of people who are still close to you. So I, I'm willing to forgive her for that moment, mostly because at no point does the panel specifically focus on her butt at any point, which is very impressive. It's like two straight pages, and there's like no gratuitous butt shots of Amora. So, you know what? This is the fucking masterpiece it's as far win. as I'm it's concerned.
0: Yeah, I'll take it.
1: Uh, Rebecca runs into Laguna carrying which she's carried which I should say. And immediately, Laguna's like, oh no, what did they do to her? And Rebecca's like, we have to get the witch to Eden Zero. He's like, what are you guys going to do? We're going to have to find the all-link system. And Laguna says these lines, and I have to say these verbatim, he says, we know where the all-link system is. Rebecca says, what? And Lice says, the princess told us. She's in the water bottle. (laughs) So, one of
0: two things has happened here: one, Laguna has communicated with a princess who is still made of water, or two, she told she turned solid again, told him where the Alling system is, and then he turned her back into water.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. He just turned her back into water. Then he fucking threw some salt in her eyes. Like, God damn it! Ah! Starts crying. Turned her back into water. Why did you do that? I want to hear some. He couldn't think of an easier way to do it. He just blue sand into her <laughs> He's like, I always keep a pocket full of salt just in case. Uh, what I love about this, too, is I guarantee this is so. He's like, look, she's easier to transport so we can take her back to the Ian Zero, where which her sister can put her in that machine that removes trauma for people so she'll never have to remember having to bomb up her butt at any point in time. <laughs> And then Moskoy pipes in to be like, apparently it's not far from here, Moskoy. So I've I've said this before. This is the issue with Moscow Moscow,
0: is that he is there to be comic relief, but he is also there to be a supporting character who is who can just, you know, lose the fight to demonstrate the power or to say a line so that it's not just the same person saying things over and over again. And it always feels out of place when he's used for either of those cases because he's such a weirdo yeah. in every other case.
1: So basically, Rebecca passes off which to Laguna and Laguna is like, I'll take care of her. She's the one who introduced me to all of you. Cut over to the Shiki and Shura who are fighting and Shura basically just starts going on about how there's a big fight going on at the temple between Nero and Ziggy and he's going to bet Ziggy's going to win, but that's fine because he wants his dad to die anyway and that works out for him. But even if his dad should win, the all when the high tide happens and the all link happens... There are a bunch of electronically controlled imperial antimatter bombs uh, lying unused to the temple, 20,000 of them. So once that happens, he can immediately activate the bombs and just blow up the planet and kill anyone who's left on it anyway. It all works. Everyone struggles, but I'll be the winner at the end. We cut over to the temple, Nero 1, where Ziggy, Neru, Nero, and I think his name's just Jaguar. I think that's his code name. I don't give a shit. Uh fucking discount Rob Lucy. I've heard people call him Bob Lucci, and I kinda <laughs> like that name for him.
0: Bob Lucci. <laughs> Bob he, Bob Lucky. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's there. Uh <laughs> and he's basically just like, oh, you started the whole thing on Forrest, uh, Ziggy. And Ziggy is super dismissive of the fact that he has to have this conversation to begin with. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not here to talk to you. I don't care. Um, Ziggy sends down one of his four Dark Stars, the strongest beings in all of the universe, Brigadine and Jaguar. Wait, hold on a second. Does he say there are four of them? He, we were introduced these characters before. Oh, right! Uh, there was the one that was a clown and the other two. <laughs>
0: I forgot about that, so I was under the impression that he had, like, a bunch of these.
1: (laughs) No, no, there's specifically four. (laughs) He has four Dark Stars, and one of them is almost immediately killed, (laughs) just immediately fucking destroyed by Jaguar, just fucking rips his way straight through it, Bob Lucci. And he's like, you said something about power. This mechanical puppet is no match for me. And Ziggy starts laughing. He says, "Brigadine's power is distraction. Not really a power, but all right. (laughs) And the killer's power is assassination. And Bob Lucci gets stabbed from behind. Looks like Bob Lucci's going down. No, he fucking turns around and just fucking smashes the other robot and fucking destroys the shit out of him.
0: I actually want to correct you. Okay. doesn't turn around (laughs) that's true he just reaches behind him with his arms and still has the power to completely obliterate this robot (laughs) by pressing behind (laughs) his back with
1: his hands (laughs) and then he just dies (laughs) yeah then he just fucking dies and ziggy goes two of my dark stars so, I guess that group wasn't as important as it was. I know oh. that.
0: Or Jaguar is really fucking awesome. And we're going to have lots of cool adventures with him from now on because he's such a badass. Oh, he's dead.
1: <laughs> and then Ziggy holds him so Nero can shoot his face full of dice and kill him. He just shoots a bunch of dice through him. And uh, immediately... I, 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 Fuck, where does that conversation even happen? Technically... This happened while Brigadine was fighting Bob Lucci. Neru explains, hey, you should really care about that guy. He was part of the Eurasian 6 Galactica. And then he joined the Eurasian 6 Interstellara and rose through the ranks. He's incredibly powerful. And Ziggy says the great line of, I don't care. I don't care. Shut up. Shut up with all of this. Um and then yeah they they hit jaguar jaguar goes down and the way the chapter ends is uh we just get more of a stare down between bob or not bob luci he's dead uh ziggy and neru and ziggy's just like yeah i'm gonna take your empire and it's all gonna become connected mother and the brother uh the chronophage and machines they are all connected uh neru gives the line of I not I know not what factory produced you, but your date of manufacture will also be the date of your death. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really wanted like a scene from like five seconds before where he turns around and rolls his dice. And he's like, no, "That's <laughs> damn, it's not a good roll for my my burn." <laughs> but I gotta, I gotta follow
0: the dice. Speaking of which, the last thing that he says in this chapter is. As long as I control the Empire dice, I will never know defeat. When he has specifically said that he doesn't control what he rolls when he rolls
1: them. (laughs) I hope I don't roll a one. That would suck. Oh, fuck! I rolled a one, so I guess you punched me in the cock. That sucks. That's real bad. Oh. It's fine. I, I, like, I'm... (sighs) Part of me is just amused that we got introduced to the four dark stars and then two of them just get kind of crushed and one of their powers was distraction, which I don't even know what that means. Like, he was big and strong. I guess that's a distraction, but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. It certainly was a chapter that happened and it had some bits
1: that are weird. So. Yep. Nick, gonna- which character, if you could find out their backstory, would you want to know first? Bonkers. Okay. <laughs> big Joe bonkers. You've always been like, give me that bonker What's history.
0: <laughs> What's that nondescript big guy's deal? I have to know what, more about why it.
1: Why is he called Big Joe Bonkers? Like, well the bonker's a family name, but Big Joe, he picked himself.
0: <laughs> so chapter twelve of the Hunters Guild Red Hood, bonkers. Um <laughs> Is that chap- the fucking name it was? <laughs> it's halfway through the entrance exam. People are running around, you know, trying to get not get arrested. Uh, so Debonair uh, is trying to arrest people, but th- a bunch of people have kind of been turned on to the plan that Velo and company have, uh, have come up with. So she's like, ah, shit, they're coming after me with more people than I have cuffs currently. So she is forced to flee away from them. Uh, until she can actually get, you know, gather more, uh, stuff to take them out. And she's like, yeah, I mean, this, this really sucks. You know, they're dedicating more people to me. I can, you know, I could use my heat attacks to kill them, but I can't, I don't want to kill them. So they're taking advantage of that uh, and me having to go easy on them. And she's like, yeah, this is a good strategy. I hate it. I love it. So yeah, fair enough. Um, they're still recruiting more and more people. Uh, in order to try and get this to be a more and more successful plan. Uh, and she, as uh debonair gets away, she thinks, you know, getting away clean is a correct answer, but using hunting to save others is an even better answer. Hey, it's like, it's the lesson that they were all supposed to learn from this or something, which was established a couple chapters ago. So, uh, <laughs> um, but meanwhile, Velo is with a bonkers and girl whose name I keep forgetting tamari so um he's like you know i've thought of this before but we don't have a risk-free strategy and that's why part part of why i focused our numbers on debonair it's because if we try and fight grim head-on uh she's too dangerous because debonair is trying to test people grim doesn't give a shit about any of that and she's like yeah i'm gonna take people out and i'm gonna you know arrest them and then i'm going to beat up people and knock them unconscious uh if i don't have enough cuffs to arrest them and they'll come back with more cuffs while they're unconscious, and then I'll arrest them. Uh, Also, Velo correctly predicts her exact line of reasoning, which is she's willing to break four or five bones of ours if need be, to which Grimm says, after coming out of the flashback, I will do what I need to, even if I have to break four or five bones of yours to do it. Hey. Yeah. So Bonkers all of a sudden says, leave this part to me. And he picks up Velo and the girl and shoves them in, a cargo elevator yes it's a cargo elevator it actually says that and he hits the switch so that it goes down and they're like well, what the hell is going on and Bella's like wait a minute this is just a guess but Bonkers is and suddenly we come back up to where Grim and Bonkers are and Grim says you don't want to pass do you and Bonkers goes hmm and then the cargo elevator comes back up because they got to the bomb and they hit the switch and came back up
1: he's like damn it <laughs> <laughs> Thwarted uh, elevators well, work. Thwarted by the way elevators work. Damn it yet again.
0: Uh they make a joke because bonkers is 23 years old, even though he looks way older. Um, I guess. I mean he I could see him being twenty-three. He just looked kind of, you know, beaten up a bit.
1: He's Whatever. a rough time, yeah. Well, you know, we all ceremonially get our iron jaw when we turn 30. He got his a little bit earlier, and that's probably why he seems earlier. You know, as part of the Bonker family, it's a Bonker tradition. You get try and jaw at 30. He got his earlier. That's right.
0: Uh, Grim has some paperwork on his background, which says that his name currently is Big Joe Bonkers, but his birth name is Kellen Ken Bonkers. I love that
1: Bonkers is his Christian
0: name. <laughs> he yeah. took
1: Big Joe. <laughs> Born into the well-known, wealthy Jin Montes family. Okay. Like, I- I'm imagining how, like, the... Uh... The how I named myself scene goes, and it was like, What's your name? And it's fucking uh, bonkers in a room, and he's like, Uh, uh, uh. And he reaches his pocket and he has a pen, and he's like, Uh, Bic. And then he looks around and he's like, Uh, I see someone drinking coffee, and he's like, uh, Coffee, Bic Coffee. And the person he's talking to is like, That sounds stupid. Just use Joe instead of coffee, Bic Joe. And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> Just the person caught on to what he was trying to do and helped him out. They're you know, like, Big Coffee's not going to convince anybody. Big Joe, you can get away with.
0: Actually, no, you know what would be a better name than that? Big Java. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, really
1: weird. He, he reaches into his other pocket. He just has a condom. They're like, Condom Joe, that's your name. He's like, I don't, I can't go with that one. You're going to go with
0: Big again.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Like, that's not even a Bic pen. He's like, yeah, but that's the pen you know. It's Bic pens. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, name another pen company.
1: All right, I can't. <laughs> yeah, like, god damn it, you got me.
0: God damn you, Bic Joe bonkers. <laughs> I love you. All right. <laughs> So it's established that Big Joe Bonkers has been failing this test on purpose over and over and over again. He has gone into, gotten to the final exam of the hunter camps five consecutive times, but he keeps on failing them at the last minute. Bonkers explains himself by saying, guys like me don't deserve to be hunters. So we get his backstory and a flashback. And it's established that when he was a teenager, there was this giant that came through his hometown His family, which was wealthy, was fine, but half of the town was obliterated and demolished. So they took in a bunch of these people whose homes were ruined. Uh, We just get an establishment of just how kind Bonkers was, because even as a lad, this other family came in wanting to take shelter. They were all out of room, and Bonkers was just like, they can have my room. Oh, what a nice guy. But then it turns out that the people who came seeking shelter were taking advantage of them. They were actually freaking looters. And so they were sneaking around at night and they were looking for stuff to steal. So Bonkers was wandering around at night. I don't know, because he had just, you know, finished taking a piss, I guess. And so he saw the light and so he confronted them. So they pulled a knife on him and he fought back with the lantern and a bunch of stuff got on fire. Oh, people got caught on fire. Oh, my God. A person falls out through the window because they see that it's raining outside, but they don't, they're in such a panic, they don't realize that they're on the top floor. And so people were like, oh, my God, what's all this ruckus about going on? And so the other thief who what, witnessed all this was like, well, I'll be caught if I don't say something. And Big Joe Bonkers, not yet Big Joe Bonkers, <laughs> was like, oh, no, the smoke from the lantern fire means that I'm choking on stuff. And I can't speak, so I can't explain myself. But the thief was immediately like, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, he's a murderer. He's crazy. Push the guy out the window. So people are like, what? He was just trying to steal some candles and stuff. What a fucking crazy kid. What a greedy child. And so Bonkers realizes, oh, if only i had been able to talk and explain myself. If only I'd never invited those fucking poor people. Into yeah. The house. And this is
1: really a fucked up backstory where it's like, what if the poor were the problem? <laughs> <laughs> if they hadn't come in and messed everything up.
0: Uh, the Bunker's family were quickly labeled a house of murders, which, you know, we were rich. So in a way, we were. So we, are... qui-
1: we quickly used our money to ensure that would never be an issue going forward.
0: Uh... So I ran away from home before that situation got resolved. Read in the paper layer that their reputation was squeaky clean. Turns out they'd killed all sorts of poor people
1: before. <laughs> Turns out you could just blame all the issues on the poor. It's actually very, very easy.
0: Eventually we distracted all the people there by blaming the problem on immigrants.
1: So... <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we got a lot of mileage out of that one. That's an old bonkers tradition to just blame <laughs> it on the immigrants.
0: <laughs> uh, so... He came up with this plan to um, in true rich person fashion, become a leech on society. (laughs) Um, It's actually a pretty honestly genius plan, which is, yeah, I would just go on this training camp thing for half a year. And so thus I would get free room and board and then I would just fail at the end. And so then I could just keep on taking it, but I could be present for the entire camp. And so I would always have shelter and food. So that was my plan, and uh, I guess the jig is up. Since now you know that, and you probably won't let me take the test again, uh, I'll probably have to like go become a mercenary or something like that. And then we get the continuing theme of Red Hood having this weird, you know, very direct. This is what the story is because it's about fairy tale reinterpretation, not the series, but the Grim.
1: <laughs> I'd like, I'd like that to be reinterpreted.
0: Uh and he says if a person's life is like a story that I'm just a random extra at best that one annoying jerk who's only really around to make life harder for the main character. I've got no business being some hero. Fate didn't just put fate just didn't put that in the cards for me. And Bella says, "That's not true. You're not a jerk." Look at these flashback panels that are too small for anyone to examine. <laughs> He's like, all right, well, maybe maybe you can be jerkish anyway. But your life isn't perfect, isn't over yet. If you just keep on picking at old scabs and walling in self pity, oh, well, I can't put a name to what I'm feeling right now. If you're going to call this a story, then just write a new chapter. Start on a new page, and this time, let your actions make you the hero. I refuse to stand by and let somebody let themselves fall into the darkness come on bonkers let's both <laughs> become hunters together
1: <laughs> man i fucking love that this character's name is big joe bonkers it makes a lot of things a lot funnier um man i <laughs> it's such a, a weird moment um in this series that is performing astronomically poorly to be like all right well let's let's dig into what big joe bonkers is all about where i was like I, it, the story's almost interesting like as you said i do actually find it kind of interesting that the dude's like intentionally failing the exam over and over because he just gets free living and exercise and everything like that every time he takes the exam like it's actually kind of a clever idea the backstory is such a weird misguided story of just like what if the poor were leeches upon the rich and they're actual thieves Uh, opportunists and uh he, his real name's not Big Joe it's something else you're like I'm uh, <laughs> yeah and you're like all right uh I'm glad we took this little detour to cover all of this
0: character of the week Big Joe Bonkers yeah oh yeah
1: in in spirit and mind completely Big Joe Bonkers forever all let's, right let's blast through Maguchan, Chan Nick nothing 5%. happens Best
0: Friend Part Two, Chapter Sixty. It is a continuation of the story. They're friends Kyo. again.
1: All right, let's talk
0: about. And, I mean, we do get some stuff that does actually lead to fleshing out Kyo's yes, character, I, which is do. nice. It's established that because she was good at school, people always just kind of saw her as not, you know, really human. And she was just like, I don't really have an identity, and it, we learned that. Having a friend like this did really help her come out of her shell and be a more well-rounded person. There is a silly bit where Magu and Gula pretend that they are a UFO. They thus abduct Kyo and drag her all the way over to Yuika's place. You, uh, not Yuika's place, but to the playground where Yuika is sitting in the on the swing set. No, miserable. she she
1: lives at the playground
0: <laughs> with her, does, yes. with her
1: eight kids or eight siblings.
0: <laughs> she is eleven <laughs> <laughs> or twelve, whatever. Uh. Uh, Ruru and, uh, Unisuke come to try and, you know, comfort her, but y- Yuga tries to, you know, shove them up by saying, no, nah, no, nah, we're just better off apart. But Zonzege jumps up to her and uses barbs of despair to bring out the truth because normally she doesn't have despair, but of course she's hiding her true self right now. And so she starts crying and just says, I don't want to be apart from Kyo. And uh, Magu and Guluak come in, and Magu is like, this won't be solved if I don't blow something up. So he <laughs> blows up the, s- the thing that Kyo is studying from.
1: She's like, that's ah, kind of like an expensive book and actually pretty important to me. But I guess fuck you, God of Destruction, you not blow up whatever, all right?
0: Um, so the two of them decide to be honest with each other. They're in tears. They press their hands against each other in a way that definitely won't make shippers, uh, put them together. And then they make up and they're friends again. And Kyo decides not to go to the super advanced high school because she thinks it's more important for her to be around people that she relates to and cares about. So yeah, a happy ending for all.
1: Yeah. I hate that ending, by the way. Can't stand it. Like it's, okay. I know it's the thing that we do in these mangas to like status quo everything, but like, i hate the implication of like she's going to intentionally not follow what would ultimately be a better decision for her because she has one friend and she just can't leave them behind that would be too traumatic it's like ah fuck off that's not how this shit should go
0: i feel like there should have been a thing that like would allow her to still fulfill like the potential that she has in some way yeah um It does feel as if she's just like, no, won't do anything because it it, it
1: feels like the lesson should be. I can move on to this school and still be a part of your life. Like, we don't have to never see each other again. But instead, it's like, no, I'll just go to the same high school as you guys do in case the series runs long enough to make it to the high school years.
0: Yeah, I would say, oh, it would be fine if she could just, you know, Skype and uh just come visit occasionally but then we wouldn't have gula as much and uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's
1: he's really the he's the part of this dynamic we really want to keep you know he's yeah. the w- real winner in all this yeah
0: because everyone's got their digimon partners they're <clears throat> package deal
1: yeah let's talk about <laughs> so it's chapter two <laughs> the best season. part of this series is just saying its name
0: yeah uh It is chapter two, life expectancy. Uh, There we get a small snippet of a series that I would actually be interested in reading, which is, you know, what stuff lucky would be doing at the school and what it involves. It turns out that there is, you know, a whole thing where you can like listen to music and from listening to it, you can then, you know, write it out on a staff sheet. He's very bad at this. He checks out another room and it turns out Furusu, the pigtailed girl, that was listening to music that caused Lucky to have a vision in the first chapter. She's perfect at this. She has, she has perfect pitch. And, uh, so, Hey, she's very, very, very musically talented. Lucky goes and visits his mom at the hospital. Uh, they establish that Lucky, you know, that the other children are still very important to his mother. So it wasn't like what we were kind of saying last time. Like, Oh, well, I guess, you know, she just abandoned the kids. It's like, no, no, she's still, very much attached to them. Presumably Lucky's father is just an asshole and was like, well, I don't want that child. Let's throw him in the trash. And she was like, I want to take care of him. And he was like, fine, get out. <laughs> so, um, she says that what she really liked would like to see is, you know, like whenever she hears lucky play, "Twinkle little, tweak little star, which is the thing that got him into the musical Academy was because it was so special. What she sees is all seven of her children, Having fun playing the piano together. Uh, That's established. Uh, Lucky, you know, st- leaves from his visit. Overhears that his mom has one year left to live. Who could have seen this coming? So uh, Lucky goes to see the weird teacher who was the responsible for game into the academy. He is biting his lips so hard that it is bleeding, and then he punches himself in the face several times. And then he's like, "I need you to make me good piano player." Uh, so guy watches Lucky play the piano and we actually see things from his point of view this time, which is probably how the first chapter should have concluded. <laughs> um, so, you know, when he's playing like, you know, very famous Bach and Chopin pieces, just a kid playing a piano. But when he plays Mozart's variation of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, he literally sees Lucky as a little kid and these his six siblings around him. So... This isn't just something that just Lucky's mother sees. It is something that this guy can see too, despite the fact that he has no connection, presumably to this scene. So, Hey, that's a big deal. It should have probably been made a much bigger deal out of and been in the first chapter. Like I cannot stress that enough because this all feels like the second half of chapter one. Yeah. Whole thing as it establishes stakes. So, uh, you know, he says like, look, your performances of the first two weren't great, but that other one was special. And Lucky's like, well, my mom said the same thing. What does that mean? Why is it amazing? Look, look, I got to become a good pianist. I've got to do it within a year before my mother dies. And I want to catch up to everyone. I want my mom to see all seven of us playing the piano together. Not like in the vision she sees when I play this song, but in real life. Hey, a big goal for the protagonist to have. Great. That's good. Um, So he says, the teacher says, yeah, I see that scene too. And, but the person who is watching all of this is missing from the frame. And that missing person is also the one who's listening. What's making all this possible is probably your unusually soft, but careful playing. How have you been practicing? And, like he says, I've been playing in a hospital when I visit my mom, and you can't have loud noises that go all throughout the hospital. So, I only play for a short while and I play softly. So, hey, there's the establishing traits of the hero. That's good. So, he's like, all right, come in. We're re, 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 re -re -re introduced to Furusu, the girl that we saw in the classroom earlier. And,. The teacher says there is a rule that says I can take on one student from each grade. And this year I'm deciding between the best student, which is her, and the worst, which is you. And Furusu says that doesn't make any sense because he has no potential. Why do you want to waste your time with him? (laughs) But uh, he says because I'm the only one who can teach this really bad student. Anyone else would just want him to get out, basically. So you two will be competing two weeks from now. And whoever wins gets to be my student. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's a physical it's a physical chapter that happened to be in our vicinity.
0: It was better than the first one. I'll give it that much because there were actual noteworthy plot points.
1: I will will note because this got brought up in our discord. uh, I'm going to have a tremendously difficult time processing this series because I know nothing about music nothing that I, I cannot read music I do not know notes I've tried to have people explain it and it's it, it's incomprehensible to me you might as well be teaching me fucking mandarin chinese at the same time like in while speaking it like I just have no idea what it means so any of the attempts to actually explain what he's doing or anything like that that they're kind of starting to get into makes no sense to me like I get the idea Oh, his variation on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star is, is special because it's like he's presumably one part of a seven part group playing the song, maybe. But even that, I still don't really get. Yeah.
0: Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Z equals 212. What's the chapter title? We'll talk about it at the end of the chapter.
1: Uh, oh, we... right. There was a Dr. Stone chapter this week.
0: We get a big two page color spread. Hey, look, it's Senku, and Haku. Ukyo's there too, desperately trying to be seen. (laughs) Ukyo's Uh,
1: there too is a pretty good way to describe him.
0: uh, The crew of the Perseus go and revive people on uh, Soyuz's uh, island, the the previous kingdom of petrification. Hey, everyone's happy to see each other. They also revive some gruffer looking guys who um, I don't know. Uh, So Uh, It turns out that Senku actually gave Soyuz a special mission for them because essentially Senku foresaw what they were going to do way back when they came to this island. And so plans were put in place even back then. Uh, Then they sail all the way over to back to mainland Japan. And so they revive Ruri. Kohaku and Ruri embrace Ruri is like, hey, because I'm healthy now, I'm super strong just like you, which doesn't really make sense. Gohaku exercised her entire life. Whatever. Um uh, there is another moment of ship teasing between Chrome and Ruri that Chrome does not understand because he is a silly boy like that, because they're looking at each other and it's very intense and romantic. And of course, Chelsea being Chelsea is like, oh, I get it. They're into each other. They like each other. Uh, and Chrome has the great response of, "Well, oh, yeah, everyone in the village likes Ruri because he's dope.
1: Also, I thought and I feel like Ninja has corrected us several times on this. I thought a separate group was sent to fix the free everyone in Japan. Or is Ninja, Or is Ninja just harassing me for no reason?
0: I don't know. Chrome's there and Ukyo's there. I guess they split off. One went to Soyuz's group and one went to, I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, Suika looks around and they're like, and because everyone's like, hey, um, nobody like shattered. Nobody's statues shattered, which made it easy to revive everyone. So that's great. But hey, what's this wall of rocks doing here? It turns out it acted as a dam whenever stuff would have flooded and smashed the statues. And, uh, you know, Senku's like, hey, good job on this. And they say, we didn't build that. And Suika looks around. And, ah, uh-huh, she sees Chalk and Sagara the pig. And they're reunited. Yay. And it turns out they built the wall. <laughs> um, There is a fake out then because it turns out they each have had families i guess they procreated asexually because we don't see the mothers of these
1: groups but anyway
0: then so so nick you
1: don't know anything about science dogs pigs can fuck each other and then have completely separate litters that's just science
0: suika realizes oh you've got your own families now i guess this is a goodbye and there's a big dramatic thing she gets a big mid two-page spread of her being sad as she watches her animal friends go and then they're back immediately like three pages later <laughs> um francois makes some sushi everyone thinks it's absolutely wonderfully delicious of course and it turns out that Senku left plans behind for them to make a hydroelectric dam, so that they could have the power source in order to do their rocket thing. Hooray! Uh, Gen suggests that the animals took inspiration from the giant wall that humans were building. All uh, right, I guess. Um, and um, then they're basically all set. There is a launch site that was set up at the Petrification Kingdom, and they've got pow- the you know power now to make stuff. And so they're all set. They're going to, you know, tackle the final frontier, and they're going to get ready to go to the moon. As we get our chapter title, final part, Stone to space. So we are entering the final quarter, I guess, of Doctor Stone. Uh, I won't be surprised if it lasts another year and a half. I'm going to guess right now, given the way that. uh, it's been paced so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, the series runs pretty quickly, but I would be surprised if it ended next year. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I could be mistaken in this, but I thought that Chalk was with the group that went to South America. I'm thinking of a time that Suica got petrified while Chalk was around.
1: No, I think she thought about chalk. We we kept cutting back to chalk while it was happening. I think. Okay, all right, that would I guess that would explain it then. All right, well that's gonna do it for for Doctor Stone. Let's move on to Mashal. Let's talk about Mashal neck magic and muscles chapter seventy nine. Mash burned it and the school of hard knocks. So we are introduced to an explanation of the three magic schools in the world. Easton, where humanity and compassion are taught alongside magic. Saint Rs, where justice is revered and rule breakers are harshly punished. And Walkus, where power means everything and magic is polished to the zenith. So over the past hundred years, Easton has produced 11 visionaries, Saint Ars four and Walkus has produced 86 or er, 85. Sorry. Uh, just goes to show how much stronger Walkus's philosophy is to creating divine visionary candidates. And they note, the story here so far is that of all the schools, St. Ark's has dropped out. Uh, so, Walkus uh, and Domina, specifically... Just start going, smart of them to drop out or to realize they aren't fit to be visionaries. We happily accept their seats. And I then, don't think they could do that. <laughs> it's how this tournament works. It's it, It's in the rules. No one says dog can't play basketball. And three more members of the school materialize out of thin air. I know this has magic, but I don't know if they cast a spell or if someone summoned them. There's just three more of them now next to them. And one of them is clearly a Cenobite. So that <laughs> needs to be addressed at some point. I don't know. I think that we need to address the guy who's clearly just on
0: drugs is <laughs> right below him. <laughs>
1: The dude who's just like fucking just like wearing earmuffs is just like, I hope no one calls on me. <laughs> uh, so while this happens, Domino gives a gigantic speech about how it's the pinnacle of magic and how Walkus's philosophy is, you know, better than anything that St. R's or Easton has and that we, the six from Walkus, we're going to win this tournament. And... Immediately, Dot's like, this is crazy. Instead of three schools competing, this is a three-on-six fight. And Mashler starts looking. He's like, wait a minute. If there's nine total and three of them dropped out plus three more, we've got 18 people here. <laughs> and people in the crowd are like, it's still nine. What, what, how did you even get to 18? You should have gotten to 12. And then Mash says the best line. He's like, not that it matters how many. I have to curve stuff. <laughs> And uh, I love that there's just an ongoing joke in the series that MASH cannot count. I was reminded uh, back in the day, because the second volume came out, how MASH doesn't know how to count was even a thing for back then, when it was like you had to collect five gold coins, I think, to make a uh, oh. thing. And he's like, so five coins make a silver, co- make a gold coin. So five minus two, just 28 left to get. It's <laughs> so far off. <laughs> So, immediately, he's like, look, I don't really want to fight you, but this is for Pops and my friends, so we're going to do it. And Domina is like, look, I sympathize. Bravery won't help you defeat you. Our superiority was decided by birth. After all, when has a younger sibling ever surpassed their elder in this world? And considering you don't have magic, Master interrupts to be like, sibling, my family's just me and my Pops. And Dot has to come in and be like, "You're innocent Zero's son, he's talking about that. And MASH is like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, he, he doesn't know his own backstory. <laughs> Mash, MASH doesn't retain information very well. <laughs> I, I don't know why it is so funny that fucking Dot has to come in to explain it. Like, your innocent Zero's son, don't you remember this? But King Russ... Is not dead,
0: Nick. Maybe, maybe that's the way Lemon can win her way into his heart, just by like being there around him to remind him of things. to physically explain the story as it's happening <laughs> around him. It's like, oh man, I don't know what I would do in my life if it weren't for you, pretty bow girl,
1: <laughs> <laughs> lady with orange or yellow hair. I'm what's also yellow? Carrots, and then he just leaves. <laughs>
0: We've known each other for 12
1: years. (laughs) We have four children. (laughs) Every time that I convince you to make one, you're like, where are we doing this? (laughs) What's happening? Just do push-ups, all right? I'll do the rest. Uh, Uh, King Russ is not dead, Nick. He arrives. He says, I am King Russ from St. Oz, people of Eastern. Hear me out. (laughs) And he falls into Mash's arms he says candidate of easton we of Saint ours have fall to them they even cast a curse upon our families we never intended to give them our seats but they've chosen our families over our we've chosen our families over our pride in our school and disgraced ourselves i'm so sorry so please defeat them duh not domina but a member of domina's group uh shark mouth eye patch person is like you're, that's lies, all lies you guys are dirty liars, come and talk about school pride and apologize just to make yourself look good, yeah, protect your family that's weak, I'd never do that I'm gonna, I'm gonna explode your fucking stomach, and he does it he explodes King <laughs> Russ's stomach and then uh, Lance and Dot get surrounded in like a dark magic or something I'm not entirely certain what it is I can't tell if it's blood or something different uh, and Domina, I believe, or maybe this guy, I guess, since he's still talking, uh, is just like, separate them one by one while the six of us go on a bloody rampage. Get them! And a whole series of attacks come at MASH, and it looks like they're about to collide. And there's a big explosion, and there's smoke, and you just hear somebody say you just hear him saying, that's one down. And then when the smoke clears, we see a bunch of gigantic doll heads uh, covered in spikes, amongst other stuff. Uh, but I don't understand what that stuff is because someone says six versus one doesn't seem fair and there's a bunch of reactions but who should show up?
0: Also a musical note.
1: Ah, that's what that is. Okay. Uh, Who should show up but Lord Abel, Abyss Razor and Margaret Macaron and just says, oh my mother, he still talks to that doll. (laughs) (laughs) mash mash come on <laughs> come on Mash! i'm not gonna lie it's so fucking hype i don't know why but seeing these three show up i was like fuck yeah all my favorites are back they're gonna be six on six six on six like all i wanted is william regal to come and he's like that's it war oh, <laughs> um
0: hey I, I do appreciate abyss razor being back it's been a while since we saw him so yeah. um I uh, still kind of wish that Finn could be involved in some of this stuff, but I understand he's just not a battle character yet, so he can't be involved in this right now. Yeah. So. Or a lemon, for that matter. I don't even know if she has a, a specific magic that she could do. I, yeah, I don't know if
1: she actually has a magic yet.
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Elusive Samurai Generation 1334. Uh, so we are
1: reintroduced. To- Which is, I believe, uh, technically... 13 or 1324 better than Generation X. I'm going to see myself out. I did everything. Goodbye, everybody. is September. Fuck you, 40 year olds. <laughs> 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 All right.
0: <so. laughs> um, we are re 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 introduced to Tadayoshi Takaoji's uh, brother. Uh, and it's established like one of the big things that's going on here is that the new rulers of Kamakura are just much younger. And so people saw them very differently than they saw the rulers of Hojo. And Tadayoshi assumed the post of Kamakura in Kamakura and surrounded himself by, uh, all of these strong allies who were also quite young. And we are given some introductions to some, some of these, uh, characters, uh, there is a long hair guy. Uh, there is this tan guy with a cat mask thing, who is uniquely given a question mark next to his age. I believe that all of these are based on real historical figures. So maybe he's based on a historical figure whose exact age is not known. Uh, and uh, there is also a guy called named Uesugi, which caught my attention because there is a hero called Uesugi Kenshin uh who apparently is from the same clan but you know separated by like 200 years in history so and uh then there is a 13 year old kid uh named shibo named shiba who is like an assistant so i'm also interested in that that there is this person who is specifically like not very far separated in age from the elusive warriors and i wonder how that's going to Involved their conflict.
1: Well, Nick, I typed his name into Google and did not get anything. So he probably doesn't exist. Probably a fake person. Okay. Uh, possibly then. Uh, you're talking about
0: the uh, Iwamatsu guy? Yeah. yeah. Tadayoshi starts giving a speech, just says, Hey, check out this new banner we got. Let us flourish. Woo! And everyone's like, Yay! Uh, and uh, some people kind of observe, like, Wow. People sure gave up on uh, the Hojo clan really quickly, huh? Uh, Except not quite so. There are assassins hidden in the crowd who immediately take off their wigs uh, and start attacking. They try and immediately go for Tadayoshi. But of course, the people that are immediately surrounding him cut them down quickly. But um, they didn't come alone. There are 50 people there, all lying in wait, ready to attack, plus a greater invasion force that is down the river. So immediately we see like the different ways that, uh, Tadayoshi's troops are, uh, skilled, uh, Shiba, you know, figures out, Hey, they're probably going to come from that direction because that's an ideal ambush spot because you can just follow down here. Uh, so immediately everyone springs into action based on that. Um, and, uh, you know, we see that uh Uesugi, you know, is like he, he considers himself a coward, he surrounds himself with people, and that the remaining two, Iomatsu and Shibukawa, have big fucking swords! That's their skill. <laughs> and uh it's freaking great because these people come charging in and they're literally cutting them in half from across the river because their swords are so huge. Um and then Tadeyoshi just, you know goes and does business like a boss standing on some steps nearby that are just out of arrow range and literally arrows are falling at his feet while he just doesn't give a fuck as he's filling out documents and stuff. And occasionally it's like, hey, there's a weakness in the line over there. You better you know, shore that up and stuff like that. And then we are introduced to uh, the fifth member of Tadayoshi's group who's just this quiet guy in a horse mask that everyone is creeped <laughs> out by because he's uh, a guy in a horse mask who never
1: talks. Uh, it's like that there is... No more explanation given to him. Someone's just like, that dude's weird. Yeah. Fucking weird dude.
0: Um, and then when Tadayoshi's finished working, he's like, hey, should we go eat? <laughs> just leave all the corpses of their enemies behind. And uh, so we then come over to uh, the Elusive Warriors who have kind of finished giving their briefing to Yorishige. And Shizuku says, Yeah, everyone in Kamakura is really just you know, caught up in these young warriors, and they're sure to resist our efforts to reclaim the city. But uh, everyone's just kind of excited because they're like, Hey, we've just been killing old dudes this entire time. Now we'll get to fight some new blood. That'll make it more interesting. Uh, then Yorishige goes to get Tokuyuki's opinion, and Tokuyuki says, Well, if, I mean, I'm really young too. I'm nine. But he also says, and no one has more love for my home of Kamakura. And it's a very nice uh, little picture of him, you know, posing there like that. It's very cute. And, uh, hey, he's got the uh, the uh, sashimi behind him because it's he's, you know, had his love for his home reinvigorated by the meal that he got last chapter from his friends. So, hey, introdu- introduction to a new villain group. And uh, that's interesting. So,
1: Yeah, remember what I talked about before? How, like, uh, when... It starts a new elusive as kind of starts a new arc. I, I kind of don't really have too much to say, and I kinda of just listen to your recap and I tend to like the chapter better, and then as it goes along I get like much more into it. We're at the start of that now. Where I have zero thoughts of this chapter, but I appreciate your recap. Did make me like the chapter a little bit more, but my thoughts end there. Big swords. Yeah. Those are some big ass swords. Look at them. They're fucking huge. So happy for them. Believe that the one is called
0: a Daikatana. It's like a katana that like horsemen tend to use. Oh
1: no, that's 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 a pornography game.
0: Okay. Um <laughs> I don't know about the other one. Anyway, so
1: all right, Nick, let's Four,
0: not the other porn game. Uh, so <laughs>
1: well, there's only two. There's die katana. <laughs> there's only two porn games. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one. <laughs> let's talk about Black Clover Page 307, a devil's heart. So, Xenon is talking with, I believe, Lucifero is his name. and just says, give me a devil's heart. And Lucifero's like, oh, what do you propose to give me in return? Xenon says, all of me. If uh, the spade kingdom continues to exist, I'll even give you my soul. And he thinks back to Wrenchy McGee before his heart is forever changed. And, uh uh-oh. He's still alive, looking even more Ukiora Halloween than ever. Is it Beelzebub? I can't remember. It's one of those devils, Lucifero' is the one he to deal with. Yes. There we go. Lucifero is another devil who's involved somewhere, and I can't remember where. Um, maybe that was Dante's devil. I don't know. Um, so immediately, you know, it's like holy shit. He feels like that devil we saw like a really long time ago back in the Elf Ark. And he says, "Yes, now that I've required a devil's heart, my strength is even more devastating." And, uh-oh, this is real bad. Uh, immediately tries to do an attack. Uh, uh Fin, not Finral Langris is the evil one. Yes. Langris tries to protect you know, but it's not enough. Boom! He gets hit. Uh, there's a little moment of Xenon being like, "Hey, earlier you avoided your shot slightly." to avoid hitting your comrade and you missed my heart. If you had done that, you would have won reflecting his backstory. Although I don't recall that really being called up at the time. So it's sort of like an after the fact thing, like, all right, it all ties together now. Also, um, um, I'm
0: pretty sure that he launched way more bones than would have just hit the heart. Uh, when he launched that attack.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, uh-oh. Looks real bad. You know has been defeated. Basically sends, like, a whole bunch of bones at him and knocks him down. And, uh... You know, we see, with black hair again, laying on the ground, so it looks like he had been knocked out of, what, like, his saint stage or whatever form that was. And Langris is still there. Xenon being like, you're still staying in my way? You can't even die right. I guess I'll kill you now. When well, who should show up? Good old Finroll. Bum-bum-bum... There's still characters show up, Nick. There's still a couple more. Just a couple yeah. more characters to be relevant uh-huh. in this arc. Uh, the two of them have a moment where Langris is like, what are you doing? Why did you come to rescue me? And Fenroll thinks, oh, I just saw Langris in the sky and dashed out here without thinking. And he explains, oh, that's the guy who abducted our captain using spatial magic. So I can't see a guy like that and not stop. But he apologizes, saying, sorry, Yami. I'm going to take a little side trip here. Uh, and... Basically, he's like, I'll use my technique and use it directly on, on Langris to kind of instantly teleport, which is possible because of Langris's mana zone. And hey, if we're together, we could fight. Isn't that right? And Langris says, you're one insolent big brother.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah, all that happened. Yeah.
1: Physically, those moments happened. Uh, yeah, those
0: factually occurred because mm-hmm. I am staring at the visual evidence in front of my eyes right now, and I cannot deny that those are the events in the story that have just unfolded. And that's what I have to say about that. Yep. I, look, I don't care about I don't care about Langris because um, it's this theme like this just seems kind of really thrown in. Uh, I understand that the moment of brotherly reconciliation is something that definitely needed to happen eventually at some point this really just feels like it's it's just happening to happen to me yeah. though so
1: <sighs> all
0: right let's set sail for one piece with chapter 1026 the pivotal clash uh we once again check in very briefly on wano Uh, where we see uh, the Tengu uh, is, you know, spending time with Otoko, but his thoughts are with Otama, who, you know, of course, ran off in order to try and help people, uh, and he's just wondering if she's all right. Um, But uh, then, of course, you know, Onigashima is approaching through the storm clouds. Uh, One of the various uh, members of the spy group thing uh, is reporting on the incident, and they say like, oh yeah, up on the roof, there's young Master Yamato, and in the air, a sight that makes me question my own eyes. Two dragons face-to-face, Master Kaido's Azure, and a pirate riding a pink dragon, Straw Hat Luffy. The dragon's identity is unknown, but is clearly an enemy. So uh, immediately, Kaido you know, is like, that dragon's not me, and he tries to attack Momonosuke, fires his blast breath. Momonosuke dodges uh, in a panic uh, and then proclaims, I'm not here to fight! Stop! No! But then Luffy uh, says, Hey, Momo! Uh, and says something, which we don't really find out later. He dashes forward in his Kong form and... Is that his Kong form? Nah, he just makes his fist really big. Yeah. And then he punches uh, Kaido into the ground and it turns out that what he had instructed Momo to do was bite Kaido and hold on. and Of course, Momonosuke is like, no, no, I can't do it. He's too afraid. But then, as he's thinking, he flashes back to when Kaido invaded his home, killed his mother, held him by the neck, and threatened him with death. And he gets really, really pissed off. And he bites Kaido on the freaking neck, and he holds him there. And just, just you know, uses the memories of being insulted and all of his loss in order to find the anger to motivate him to hold on until Luffy lands another fucking punch to the face. Um, We, <laughs> we cut away from there. <sighs> Storm clouds have gathered and blocked the moon, so the Sulong forms of Dogstorm and Cat Viper have faded. Oh no, Jack is going to kill Dogstorm and Perospero is going to kill Cat Viper. How
1: no. Ah, it looks like Jack's finally going to come out ahead, Nick. He's so strong. Finally, we're getting that turnabout where it's like, all right, Jack's a pretty strong character. Maybe Carrot will have to be the one to take him down, because after all, Carrot's going to be one of the straw hats. Mm.
0: So then uh, Luffy shouts out to Momonosuke saying, hey, you just bit an emperor of the sea. Is there a single thing left in the world for you to be scared of? And Onosuke is like, no, you're right. I'm too crazy to be scared now. So uh, and all of this is being is being broadcast over the transmitter thing. So people are hearing how, how things are going now. Uh, and they're also learning like, oh, I guess the freaking pink dragon is Momonosuke. So Luffy then decrees out loud. Don't worry about Kaido. I guarantee you. I'll win. And this too gets broadcast out to all, everyone fighting who, of course, Kaido was trying to convince Luffy has fallen. He's, you're all going to lose. And so they are going to be reinvigorated by this. Uh, big mom also hears this. She thinks it's funny that he thinks that he's going to beat Kaido still. So, um, people you know, react in different ways. Uh, Frankie's like, go get him!" And he's one of, I think he's the only straw hat we actually see reacting. to this. <laughs> <the
1: convention. laughs> To be fair, he's the only one I cared about.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Kaido still thinks it's foolish that Luffy thinks he can beat him. He's like, do you think there's even a single chance you can beat me? And Luffy says, as long as I'm alive, I have infinite chances. Yeah, yeah makes
1: sense. I So I've been seeing so many people quote that line to like, this is something I'm going to be thinking about for the longest time. And I'm ashamed to admit I legitimately, like, I laughed the first time it happened, because I thought this was one of those lines Luffy says, because he's just kind of dumb, where it's like, as long as I'm alive, you can't kill me, or something like that, where he just doesn't (laughs) know, like, words, really, so that's what I kind of read, like, as long as I'm alive, I have infinite chances to win. So I'm like my immediate reaction was like, oh stupid Luffy. And now a bunch of people are like, no, that's a line that's gonna carry, I'm gonna have it engraved, get a tattoo of it on my back. I was like, oh, I've grossly misread that scene when I first read it.
0: I think that it is meant to be both, honestly. Okay. I think that it's something that it's like, yes. It's like, as long as I'm alive, I've got infinite. <laughs> like, oh Luffy, you're so stupid. But also, I got you, you know, I'll never give up. Yeah. Kinda, so
1: and hey, I, I get you, Cody Rhodes. You can keep fighting Malachi Black. Maybe this time it'll I work out better for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the following match is a Cody Rhodes may bring a machine gun to the <laughs> ring and legally use it match. <laughs> and Malachi still beats him. <laughs> uh, oh. I can hope. Uh, so, <laughs> Luffy and Kaido clash. Kaido's club against Luffy's punch and the impact of their strikes parts the clouds that have been summoned by the dragons hey it's the thing that's happened and you know all the big big these are two powerful guy fights in one piece but luffy is part of it this time the clouds split the moon opens up uh the the spy that was reporting on the battle uh, faints from the impact of it so the feed goes black now Jack and Prosper look up as the Sulong Force come back. They're like, oh, oh, geez. And, um, the Dog Storm and Cat Viper use Odin One st- Sword Styles, um, And Cat Viper uses his claw and Doc Storm uses his sword leg to um, seemingly finish off their enemies. But I don't know. We've seen a lot of fighters in this arc get finished off
1: multiple times. So I think they're uh, done for the sake of this arc. When you get the little like narration text describing them being out. Um, But weirdly, Carrot didn't get involved in defeating Jack or Paro Sparrow. So how Nick? She's gotta be a straw hat, right? That's what all oh. the people, it's all the horny people have been saying. Uh, so, oh, wow. how does she fit in with all this? Do you think?
0: Listen, I'm just, I'm just saying that uh, during my read of History Strongest Disciple Kenichi, I just, I think that there might have been a rabbit girl somewhere around there, which makes me think maybe she's just there to look, look at. <laughs> which makes me, I really hate that. <laughs> I wanted to clarify, but. It's only going to be an important character if when they're treated like an important character. And yeah, I understand if you like the design and what's been done with them and stuff. But yeah, Carrot has not done anything of, of any relevance while this entire arc has been going on. That's the long
1: and short of it. Um, I think she shows up in this chapter some point cheering on Luffy. Yeah, she does. No, she cheers on Cat Viper. Right. That's what main characters do, right? They cheer on the oh. important ones from the sidelines. <laughs>
0: Anyway, speaking of characters that have been finished off multiple times, Orochi's still
1: alive. <laughs> yeah, I love the slowly diminishing returns of Orochi's still alive because he keeps, like, peeking in and being like, ah, shit, things are going bad. Um,
0: yeah, so I feel like this was a chapter that a lot of big One Piece people were really hyped about. There were definitely some things about it that I liked, but I don't know. I don't think that I really like Momonosuke enough to really, really appreciate this chapter
1: um i mean that's part of it it's also like okay dog storm and cat viper get to look cool which is very cool but like one of them was fighting fucking jack and i mm-hmm. like i almost wish it had been a full chapter of jack just getting a shit punched out of him because he's that lame like this does nothing like we're constantly like getting told by people like jack's actually stronger than that i mean he was only knocked out by zoe the elephant and like you know, like Luffy or wh- whoever kept being, it was like, these are super strong people. So Jack is not as bad as you're making it about to be. I was like, every time we see Jack, he is a doofy loser character. He just loses. That's all it is. I know he goes up against strong opponents, but he loses against all of them. It's all I can say. So like, I don't know. It's the thing that's there. I appreciate it, but that's really kind of like all I have as far as thoughts go for it. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty excited for when Sanji and Zoro continue their fight. That'll be pretty cool.
0: Yes. So that is it for weekly manga recap. We are going to draw things to a close here before, uh, one of us collapses from exhaustion. Uh, so, uh, do we have a favorite uh, this
1: week? Some- uh, yeah, I do have a favorite series. I'm going to give my favorite series to Mashulk, uh, Magic and Muscles, because I fucking love those three dudes showing up. I'm a simp. I'm happy to admit that. I was super fucking hyped when those three characters showed back up.
0: I'm going to agree, because Whoa. I feel like the pickings for this week for Best Chapter aren't especially robust.
1: Yeah. I. Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to think of an MVP. Mm -hmm. I guess, technically, Big Joe Bonkers (laughs) (laughs) is is an MVP worthy candidate. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's Big Joe Bonkers. Like I don't know. Like one one particular character didn't particularly stand out that much. Yeah, I definitely see your point. I guess can I give it to Mash? Mash made me laugh. He did. Yeah, I'll go. I'll give it to Mash. You can double
0: up. That's fine. Um, it is your wants to sue. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going through real quick, just in case I'm missing anything. Uh, Jiro. I don't fuck. Yeah, care.
1: that's fair. Oh, hey. Hey, hey, look, there, there are there are votes for Jiro this week. She doesn't win, unfortunately. Uh, the audience picked Luffy as their MVP and One Piece as their chapter of the week. Uh, I can I can understand that. Yeah. And look, to be honest, if there was a chapter of World Trigger for everyone to simp over this week, probably wouldn't have even had a chance. Even everybody would have just voted for that. It could be a chapter about understanding how the fucking trigger microwaves work in their fucking bunker and people talking about the various different characters using the microwave and our, our audience would eat it up and be like, MVP microwave is the best chapter of the week. <laughs> Oh. all right
0: guys we want to thank you very much for joining us for this special Sadistic September edition of Weekly Manga Recap uh, my mind is f- literally like fading right now so I'm going to get through this though we record the show here on twitch.tv slash T Wednesday, starting usually around 7.30 Eastern time. But to get updated on exactly when the show goes live, you can follow us on Twitter at T at Nick F time and the podcast official account at WMR podcast. You can also join us on the discord server where there is a notification that is sent out exactly when the stream goes live asterisk when it actually registers because of the stream, you know, uh, t- attachment tool <laughs> thing, you know, uh, also, that is a great way to just, you know, participate in discussions related with our community. You can talk about the series that we are working on for the recommendation, the series uh, part that are part of the recap when they come out each week, and many, many more things. There are also bi-weekly gaming nights. It's a great community where you can also yeah. find the Google Sheet maintained by Ninja X3i that keeps track of all sorts of helpful information in relation to the show, including past votes for MVP and favorite series, the current uh, voting uh, for said things, uh, previous recommendations that we've worked on, recommendations that have been recommended to us that you can also add your vote to and say, hey, I want you to to cover this series and other such things. Finally, we would like to extend special thanks to Steve Mann, our title card artist, for special video editions of our show. You can see those title cards on YouTube.com slash recap, And you can also see all of Steve Mann's work on his Twitter, Twitter.com slash art, and anywhere else you can find sexy stuff.
1: Uh, <laughs> Victoria's Secret, there's a couple Steve Mann pictures there. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. You just got to look around. You just got to dig into the big piles of uh, of clothes, and I'm sure you'll find some.
0: Milo Jack Stillitz and Shedder. you can also, uh, we also like to extend special thanks for making the opening sequence of the video versions of Weekly Manga Recap. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Weekly Recap to help us create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We thank all of our patrons for helping us to do this show and make it as good as it can be. And you can check out past episodes of the show on the YouTube, as previously mentioned, on Spotify, on iTunes, and on com. Now,
1: Nick, we have a next recommendation to take. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Before we get to it, I had to ask you an important question. and This is sort of a meta question. I should have asked this earlier before meta we got course. on mics. So yeah. Okay. How much of a shit do you give about the integrity of Halloween month?
0: I could bend
1: it, you know. How much are you willing to bend it
0: for a week, I guess I don't know or do you want to do it like all one thing do you just want to do one series for the month or what if what if
1: <laughs> just didn't do spooky things at all <laughs> okay <laughs> are you willing to bend that
0: much i well, as far as the riots that might ensue, but I don't really care about scary stuff that... Oh, no, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening?
1: Boar, what? Nick! Is the Spook Master General here? Here to introduce us to the next series we will be reviewing. It is called Booze Run the Riot, as part of our new... LGBT Boo Month. We're doing that because we didn't get good ones back when we did Pride Month. Ooh, maybe there's a werewolf in it. I don't know. Haven't read it yet. But maybe. Also, the title is "Boys Run the Riot," not "Boos." Ooh!
0: I'm sure the people who are watching the video version are enjoying my face reaction, but I wish I could relate the weird surprise and happiness audibly
1: right now. What if there is a werewolf that works out perfectly, right? I don't know how to
0: convey how delighted I am by this entire thing you've just done. All right, look now. We look forward to that soon. Yeah!